the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Chopping Mall, starring Kelly Maroney, Tony O'Dell, and Russell Todd. Corey One Online. Zach One Online. Have a nice day. <laughs> like a bad uh, Dalek, but whatever. I don't care. I don't care. I don't even care. I don't even care. <laughs> What's up, care. ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Podcasting After Dark. I'm one half of the pad team, Corey, a.k.a. Sleazy C. Joined with me, as always, is my brother from another mother, Zach, the total snackage Schaefer, a.k.a. Zach One. <laughs> What's Zach up, buddy? Exterminate. Now, now I'm, I'm, I want to watch Doctor Who now. <laughs> you don't want to watch Killbots? Sure, Killbots. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Feeling good. Feeling good. Can't wait to talk about a movie that's uh, like barely a little over an hour long. Right? The perfect runtime for a movie like this, especially after yours was, uh, what was it, like an hour? Uh, wasn't Black Moon Rising about an hour and 36 minutes or something? Oh, yeah. And uh, I made the, uh, the bold move for my next pick, which you, if you sign up for Patreon, you can find out this month. Uh, ahead of time, before anyone, before anyone else, it's going to be, um, well, an hour and 49 minutes, I believe. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't know what I did to myself. Oh, you're a glutton for punishment, I guess. <laughs> fuck me, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, this week we are talking about Chopping Mall, a.k.a. Killbots, a.k.a. Robots, the acronym, is, as it's, uh, you know, script form. Um, <laughs> And I just want to, at the top of this episode, apologize for my voice. I am getting over a gnarly ass cold. Um, I'm feeling fine, but I still have a little bit of it in my in my chest. Unfortunately, my wife just started her bout with it. So now, as a household, we have to deal with it for another week. So, Zach, how are you feeling, dude? A-OK. <laughs> You're like, feeling fine. <laughs> Don't want to make you feel bad, so I'm feeling... <laughs> fine oh that's all right um buddy chopping mall my man 1986 a movie that is probably 
one of the quintessential cult classics uh, that we've covered on the show. Um, most people have seen this movie, and if you haven't, well, you really should. But what is your experience with Chopping Mall, a.k.a. Killbots? This is, uh, well, the first time I've watched it from beginning to end. Oh, wow. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I've only watched it in bits and pieces on Late Night Cable and uh, GIFs and uh, CelebrityMovieArchive.com. I'm kidding. <laughs> or am I? Um, yes, for certain scenes. Uh, that's all. I have very little familiarity with this movie outside of, uh, yeah, just the clips that I've seen. And, um, you know, we talked to Tony O'Dell from... Uh, this and Karate Kid, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, and we, when we interviewed him, we talked about Shopping Mall. And I remember like looking up his scenes specifically so I could get like, you know, familiarized with him or refamiliarized with his character. And he has a fondness for this movie. So I, I know this movie has a lot of love uh, and, and, and fandom behind it. And for good reason. And then uh, at times I'm like, for what reason? <laughs> at times, at times. Yeah. No, it's it's not a perfect film. Uh, sometimes I'm, I'm a little over the screaming. But thankfully, when, when, you know, the running and screaming happens, the person usually tends to die pretty quickly. So that's always fun. But yeah. um, this was a movie that uh, the VHS cover terrified me as a kid. I thought it looked agreed. Yeah, horrifying. A, a robotic arm holding a bag full of you know body parts is a pretty scary image for you know a, a, an eight year old. Kind of like a robotic slash uh, humanoidish like arm reminds me of the the hand in house a little bit. I yes, and I and I pick up on shades of house there, and even as a kid. As much as I was scared by the cover art, I also was impressed by it and thought it was very well done. Yeah. But I did watch it later uh, in my life, and I enjoyed it. And then, But it never kind of really went into my rotation heavily until I was an adult. I watched it with my wife a few years ago, and then have kind of been popping it on here and there pretty regularly. Because, you know, at 76 minutes, it's a pretty easy watch. Well, uh, the director is known for making very short movies. Um, He's also known for making very sleazy movies. Oh, yes. That's a whole other thing. Um, A lot. He one movie he made fairly recently, Attack of the 50 Foot Cam Girl. Yes. Uh, One hour, one minute long. I think that was for (laughs) what? Full full moon pictures, probably. I believe so. Shark Babes, one hour, 16 minutes long. Uh, Scared Topless. One hour, 20 minutes long. Okay, okay, okay. And and so it's kind of perfect because you and I, since the inception of this show, have talked about that sweet spot at 80 minutes for some of these movies that are kind of, you know, schlocky and everything. It's the perfect runtime. It doesn't overstay its welcome. And even here at 76 minutes, I could have trimmed three or four towards the end, you know, just here and there and made it even, I mean, dare I say, this could be a perfect hour and 10 minute film. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this reminds me of like serials back in the day, you know, a short episodic movies. Well, I guess they would show them in the theater and then um, they'd wind up on television eventually like Rocket Man yep. and Flash Gordon mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it reminds me of that. And uh, this was not Full Moon that did this, but it's Concord Pictures, which I believe is Roger Corman's production house. Yeah, because I think this was produced by Julia Corman. 
Yeah. So maybe it's his wife's uh, side. And so, yeah, that, that tracks with these straight to video movies, uh, straight to like limited theatrical run type stuff. And they, they're fun, you know, they're, they're mindless, they're brainless and in many ways. And, um, yeah, there, there are things in, there's one particular actor in, in, uh, that I can think of off the top of my head that annoyed the hell out of me. And I was, couldn't wait for her to, for her demise because her character was screaming so much and, and so whiny. And I'm like, wow, you're such a good actor, but you're not really doing it for me right now. And in, in, I'm assuming you're referring to Barbara Crampton, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I was watching the, uh, the the behind the scenes on this on the Vestron Blu-ray, uh, which is really good. It's got a lot of extras to it, and they number those things. And isn't this one like number one or something? I believe it is. It's their first release. Yeah. So she she commented on on the the 30 minute documentary, you know, about you know when she rewatches it, she she even cringes at her overacting. And I agree with you. I think she's much better than she does in this movie. And I'm actually kind of shocked sometimes by how much I don't particularly like her character because usually it's it's a home run for me with Barbara Crampton. Yeah, I love her. I think, and I agree, I think she's a, she's a really good actor, but something happened here where, uh, you know, the director was like, no, nah, that's fine. Keep going. That, 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 that was good. That was a good take. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they did one take and they're done. You know? Yeah, I think that might have been the case because I think this was shot uh, in about 22 days um, in the Sherman Oaks Galleria, which fans of Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Commando will recognize. But it was originally supposed to take place in the Beverly Center, which we see the outside shots of in the movie. Yeah, yeah, and uh, at the time, both were somewhat similar to each other, but now the Galleria was leveled in the Northridge earthquake, I believe, in like 1994 or something like that, so oh, it's, was it? it's not anything close to what it used to be. Okay, I did, I did not know that. I was actually going to ask you if you've ever been there before. I mean, I, would, I went there post-earthquake, so it's... It's the it pales in comparison to what it used to be. It's which is sad. Yeah. And since COVID, even worse. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's it, I nostalgic wise was loving the fact that it took place in a mall mm-hmm. and looking at all the things, you know. But but I wish um, uh, they would have played up the 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 mall factor a little bit more in the beginning of the movie, mm. you know. But but I love what they did with it. Yeah, no, they, they did have some some fun with it. Uh, like I said, it was filmed in about 22 days. It was written in like just a few days and everything, and which I it's fine, whatever. Um, and it was that's or- obvious. <laughs> <laughs> and it was originally uh, titled Robots, which was an acronym, so it was like R period O period yada yada yada. Uh, then it uh, they screened it for a test audience under Killbots, which is what they changed it you know for the movie. Uh, I guess it did well, but the name did. No one liked the name, so then they changed it to Chopping Mall. Now I think Chopping Mall is a fun name, but it doesn't quite fit with what is going on here. Like Killbots is more appropriate, but I liked the name Chopping Mall better. Agreed. I would love to see a slasher movie called Chopping Mall. It, it makes you think that there's a slasher chasing these kids around. Yeah, which would which I would like to see. 
And, you know, just to kind of, uh, before we start jumping into the cast and crew and everything, I do want to call out, like, script-wise and whatnot, you know, it, it is a fast-paced movie, and it's, you know, kind of lean and everything, and it's schlocky and all that stuff, but I do think it does some things right, like the fact that it kind of doesn't forget the characters die, like, they, you know, the other characters still remember them, like, the deaths still affect them. Maybe Susie Slater's the only one that didn't really, you know, no one really cared about afterwards. But, you know, people would bring up like, I hope Mike got out and everything like that. And I appreciated that. I appreciated that none of the characters' deaths sort of like slid by anybody. No, and the premise is cool. The premise is really cool. Um, and I think that, you know, as far as indie, indie kind of uh, not student film, because the guy... Jim Mornarski, the director, had done a few movies prior to this as well. Um, you know, it's 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 like there's times when it feels very subpar, but it gets it gets a passing grade as far as I'm concerned because of the fun scenes in the movie. Yeah, yeah, I and agree. the fun ideas too. It, it it's smart, but man, oh man, there's one particular thing if, if you're gonna shoot a gun make sure you know make sure you don't blink when you shoot every time you pull the trigger russell todd <laughs> aka aka rick stanton oh my gosh bless his heart i love that dude i love the way he looks his whole image and everything but my god that guy woofa when he shoots a gun it's like he it's it's hilarious it is actually one of the highlights of this movie watching him shoot a gun. Well, one might say it might actually be realistic because technically his character probably has never shot a gun before, so he doesn't quite know what he's doing. So maybe it's accurate. I just like the the fact that he's like blinking constantly, like twitching almost <laughs> when he's shooting the gun. I know. I know. I thought the exact same thing. And and boy oh boy, do I like Russell Todd, but yeah, he's his um He's interesting in this movie. Uh, you might be surprised who who my favorite character is. Uh, oh, I'm I'm well. We're gonna find out in a minute, but um, yeah. If you ever seen the movie The Experts with John Travolta, John Travolta actually fires the gun the same way. It's hilarious because he's just like twitching and like wincing and kind of almost like he's about to cry because he's like. But this, but but Rick's trying to look cool while he's doing it. Now, before we jump in to everything, I do want to ask you, have you ever worked retail at a mall before? Not at a mall. Um, not at a mall. Uh, you worked have at you? Tower Records, right? Yeah, I worked at Tower Records for like two years. Yeah. And that has its own set of stories. But, uh, you know, that's as close to like mainstream retail as I ever got. Okay. Yeah, I've I've worked in, in multiple places retail-wise. Um, in and out of malls. And I got to tell you, when you work in a mall, it is a different like culture, like the, the employees, because you sort of get to know each other and everything. And you see each other after hours and stuff. But uh, I never I never stayed after hours to, to party, though. You didn't party in your uh, uncle's uh, or dad's uh, furniture shop? Ha- having got sex on? next to your friends and everything? Yeah, like high-fiving practically. Yeah, no. Now I know where my brother gets some of his ideas from. I, I honestly thought the exact same thing about Eric. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> give me some skin. No, don't. <laughs> don't. Don't look. Why don't you not look at me while you're having sex right now? Hey, isn't this great? It was until you looked at me. <laughs> Boo! Uh, well, you already started talking about the director. Do you uh, do you want to bring up any other movies uh, of note uh, of his? I mean, he he's a 
you know, he goes from making like dog movies, a dog on Christmas to uh, like to, sex to scared to scared topless. Yeah. With porn stars. Yeah. So, um, I mean, he's working. He's working. Look, I mean, he's he's fulfilling all the markets, uh, the the kids market. He goes from kid movies to sex movies. So really interesting. Uh, and it's it's really interesting. Jim Wynarski is I'm sure he's a nice guy. I've never met the dude. Uh, but man, he he makes every teenage boy. He covers all the the prepubescent bases. He covers like the young adolescent. Oh, this is cute. It's a fun movie about, you know, looking for treasure with a dog into, Oh, I'm starting to feel a change in my body. It's time to watch busty cops Two, busty cops three. <laughs> oh, and then curse of the Komodo. Yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, I recognize so many VHS covers and I've seen so many of his movies like The Haunting of uh, what is it The Haunting of Morella you know 1990 I remember that uh, dude I remember like 976 Evil 2 I never saw it but I remember the cover at the Oof. VHS store and everything talk to David Irons about 976 Evil 2 I think that's on his list of bad movies but he did direct Not of This Earth with Tracy Lords. yes which um, you know is it was Tracy Lord's quote unquote mainstream film. Uh, look, I think a friend of the show and fellow podcaster, Aaron Gilmer, who has Manic Movie Monday podcast. Um, I'm sure a lot of these movies are wind up on her list. Virtual <laughs> Desire, perhaps. Body Chemistry 4, uh, right? Am I wrong? Sorceress. Uh, Munchie, not. Definitely not Munchie, but. Um, <laughs> You know, he, he covers, he, <laughs> it's Return of, Return of Swamp thing, not a good movie. No. Big Bad Mama 2, movie. not a bad movie. <laughs> but yeah, Big Bad Mama 2 is not a bad movie. Uh, I actually remember enjoying that one. Deathstalker 2, I did not dislike as well. And it's got uh, John uh, Terleski in that, who is, who's Mike in this, I believe. Yeah. Um, And Monique Gabriel, who, you know. We all know and love. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. And Jim Wynarski, he likes to, by the way, um, if you ever stalk his Facebook, he likes to enlarge uh, women's breasts in photos. Oh. Just for fun. Okay, okay, good Good to know. Good to <laughs> I know. I mean, this is going to be the most anti-woke episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if we ever got Jim Wynarski on the show. Oofa doofa. <laughs> What's a Merkin and how often do you use it? Exactly. Now, why don't you pull up uh, Steve Mitchell, his his writing partner. Um, look at what he's currently working on. Yeah, you pull it up, on. I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, no, buddy. Why don't you check out what he's currently working on on IMDb? <laughs> a little documentary? A little documentary called Working Class Actor with our pal Wings Hauser. Our pal Wings Hauser. Um... It's got a shit ton of interviews in it from the who's who of talent, uh, you know, from that runs the gamut from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So, yeah, Wings, you guys know Wings. You listen to our interview. You know how hard it was to book that interview. Get Wings. The saga of Wings. Uh, we love our Wings. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, he's working on that. Ho- hopefully we'll see. We'll see that soon. Uh, but he also, I hope so. But he also produced that, um, that Larry Cohen uh, documentary called King Cohen. Uh, so, you know, he's doing some cool shit. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, those are two icons right there, Larry Cohen and Wings Hauser. Rest in peace to Larry Cohen, and Wings is very much alive and kicking. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Our boy. Yeah. Hell yeah. When are you going to do that movie that I did, that drama? No, I'm, we're going to do... We're going to do the ones that fit pad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly, buddy. And don't worry, guys and gals. We still have Wings movies in the wings. So many. And they're going to keep coming. For, forever so and ever. If you don't like Wings Hauser, you'll, you'll, if you don't like Wings Hauser, you will love him by the time we're done <laughs> covering Wings movies. Um, and then before we get into the, the, the total cast, I do want to call out that this was produced by Julie Corman, which is who is Roger Corman's wife. Yeah, and um, if you're familiar with the Southern California area, uh, I think the production studio was here in Venice. Um, and in the outside the studio, it's this big, like, kind of iron structure that is actually a giant binoculars. It's very interesting. It's iconic. Interesting. I don't, I don't think I've ever uh, been down there. Okay, cool. Yeah, right on Main Street. If you take Main Street in Santa Monica towards Venice, you'll you'll see it. And I think now it's like the uh, it's a Google building or um, uh, BuzzFeed or something like Ugh. that. Okay. So, anyways. <laughs> the the dredge of society. Okay. Yeah. It used to have, it has history at least. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, buddy, you want to rattle off uh, who's in this, this uh, amazing film? Boney Maroney. Sorry. <laughs> Kelly Maroney plays, Kelly Maroney plays Allison Parks. You guys know her from Night of the Comet. Of and course. Fast Times at Ridgemont High, so she went back to fast. She went back to the Galleria. Uh, well, actually, I don't know if she was actually ever in the Galleria in Fast Times, because I only remember her from being a cheerleader uh, at the pep rally, the football games. That's what I remember her from. Uh, but man, she's—I mean, she's constantly working. She's actually doing uh, the sequel to sorority babes and the slime ball bowlerama yeah we we may I, i'm dabbling with the idea of what we should do something with that i don't know if we'll do a full breakdown or whatever but we may do something with that when it when it comes out yeah i mean if if she'd like to come on the show and talk about it and promote it and, we'll we'll have her on and not charge of charge for, and we not won't charge, charge her to come it. on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no she's a really sweet person uh i met her in real life and uh, in, in real life and you know she's the lead in this uh it's not her first yeah it's not her first movie uh by by any means uh and and she plays she's supposed to play like a teenager it's pretty convincing yeah she looks like a teenager and i do appreciate her being like the innocent kind of you know she's like the ripley basically or the, you know she's the she's the bad the 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 innocent who turns into a badass by the end of it yeah and then the whole thing with like her dad my dad's in the marine or something that feels like a, an extension of night of the comet and everything you know it almost feels like she, it almost feels like she's a little typecast in this regard um which is not surprising considering the director so so there's no casting uh director for this movie by the way fun fact um the director and the writer cast everybody themselves and he saw kelly maroney in night of the comet and wanted to put her in this so no casting director huh that no. is interesting yeah well, that speaks volume i'm i'm curious how many movies mr warnarski has done without a casting director yeah, <clears throat> exactly don't worry no 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 I, I, i'll i'll audition them <laughs> oh boy uh yeah 
Yep, exactly. So moving on. Hey, my, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy who likes to tag team with me. He's going to do the casting. Uh, I'm sorry. Bad choice. Bad play on words. Tag team. I meant um, he's going to double up. Wait, oh, no, no. hold on. Hold on. He's going to he's going to pull a train. Wait, wait, hold on. Bad, bad choice of words. Spit roast. Oh, man. What now? <laughs> what? Wait, hold on. Bad choice of words. Hold on. Okay. Um, our boy Tony O'Dell. Yeah. T-O-D plays Ferdy. What a f- terrible name, by the way. I know. I know. It it really is. But he was a joy to talk to, uh, a wonderful human being. If you haven't listened to our interview, uh, go back and check it out. It's uh, about a, almost a year ago at this point. Um, but he does, like, like uh, Zach said, he does speak very fondly of this film. Actually, everyone in the cast really liked their time in this movie and, and look back on it fondly and embrace the fandom now with it. But, you know, he, he has a lot of screen time in this movie. He does. He does. And he's a good actor. He's a really he good really actor. He really is. Um, you know, we talked about his show Otherworld on TV Obscura. Yeah. Uh, we had him on our sh- We did the interview with him, head of the class, Karate Kid. He's got a great story of how he got cast in Karate Kid. Um, so if you haven't listened to that interview, go check it out. But yeah, you know, he's a fun actor and he does obviously he works more behind the scenes nowadays. Um, but he, I mean, he's, he's, he's very believable in the role that he's in. Yeah. And if you listen to the interview, you'll find out that he was like uh, uh, Zendaya's acting coach for like years. And I mean, she's a megastar. And I think that says a lot uh, about him, about Tony O'Dell. Yeah, and uh, good job, Jim Wynarski, for casting Tony O'Dell. I I agree. I agree. Hey, Tony, you want to see this guy? Uh, hey, Jim, you want to see this guy? Wait, you say guy? Nah, forget it. Uh, we got another woman coming. Oh, yeah, bring her on in. Now, I will say, you know, they, they do equally cast uh, stud farms as they do hot ladies. So No doubt. No you doubt. Know. Russell Todd, yeah. a.k.a. Rick Stanton, is a stud farm. Yeah, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Uh, I I know him from Friday the 13th Part 2. I don't, but I'm sure I re- if I watched the movie again, I would <laughs> I would see him. You know him from Riptide, don't you? I mean, yeah, he was on Riptide for a little while, actually. So um, I believe he was on Riptide for a little while. By the way, Riptide will definitely show up on TV Obscura. No yeah. doubt, Cub Scout. Yeah, you've been talking about that since probably the inception of TV Obscura. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, the guy did a lot of television, and he's he's a good-looking dude. You know, he falls into that category. Of, look, for every actor that made it, there's a thousand more that did not. So he was lucky for what he's done every actor is it's not just talent it's also luck and it's also knowing people so um yeah hats off to him getting this gig and being a memorable dude and almost making it Mm-hmm. and almost making it to the end almost <laughs> you know who else didn't make it to the end but nevertheless she's fun to uh see on screen is linda his wife in the movie, Linda Stanton, played by Carrie Emerson. I like her. She was good. I, I liked her, too. I honestly don't know her from anything else. Very small roles. Um, but, you know, if you go on her IMDb, there's one movie that's listed called White Dog. If you've never seen White Dog, it's a cool, like, kind of horror drama uh, with Christy McNichol and Jameson Parker. And, uh, you know, we love our Jameson Parker 
and definitely seek that movie out. Paul Bartel is in that too. And Paul Bartel has a small little cameo in this as well. So uh, go check out White Dog. Oh, no shit. Yeah, all, all that sounds awesome. I've never even heard of this, but I'm, I'm looking at it now. And wow, that is interesting. A trainer attempts, attempts to retrain a vicious dog that's been raised to attack black people. That's yes. a, that's a, that's a story right there. Okay. That's a premise right there. <laughs> I mean, look, it's a movie that would probably be shown at the new Beverly cinema for grindhouse night. Yeah. Uh, maybe the subject matter now is not, uh, by any means woke, but back in the day, it has a good message. Ultimately, uh, Paul Winfield's in as, as well. Okay. Uh, great cast. Dick Miller's in it. Um, our, our, you know, boy, our boy Dick Miller's in this. She sure is. God damn, I love Dick Miller. I just watched Gremlins one and Gremlins two, and I was just like, "Oh man, he's such good, he's such good stuff." I, I, dude, you can never ever go wrong with Dick Miller in your movie. No, you put Dick, you put a little Dick in your movie. <laughs> and come you got, out with a baby. You got Miller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put a little dick in, you got Miller. Um, and okay, so now we get to Susie Lynn, played by Barbara Crampton. Oh, Barbara Crampton, amazing, wonderful actor, scream queen, but this movie just, uh, there should have been out. I, I would. They should have reshot some scenes. <laughs> I, no, I'm, dude. I, I'm not gonna mince words. It's probably my least favorite performance of hers. I mean, dude, I, I've I've seen so much, you know, of her. <laughs> Figuratively, I've seen so much of her. But you know, like from Reanimator to From Beyond and everything in between, and a million other things. She I mean, she's still working now. You're next. We're still here. A million freaking movies, and she's fantastic always. But not quite in this. But again, like I said, in the in the um, documentary, I do think she's painfully aware that this isn't her her best thing. Yeah, but nevertheless, you know, she's in it, and she's a huge name and iconic. I think she's iconic. Yeah, and I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm always kind of surprised that she dies in it because it's kind of rare that she does in these movies. Um, and I'm always like, oh yeah, I forget she, she, and she kind of dies horribly too. Well, if Stuart Gordon had directed this, she wouldn't have died. Exactly. His his wife would have, he would have made his wife burn instead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Stu, are you going to kill Barbara in this one? Finally? No, babe, but you, you're going to die. Great. Your eyeball is going to get eaten out and then you're going to get kneed in the stomach and then your brains are going to get eaten out through your eyeball. Is that cool, babe? Are we, are we good tonight? Can we have sex? Sure. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, Nick Seagal, no relation to Steven, plays Greg Williams. Um, again, I like all the white frat boys in this. The white frat boys are good and he's good. He, he's been in a bunch of stuff from in the 80s. Yeah, no, uh, Breaking 2 is probably the thing that I, I recognize most, but I I don't really know him personally from it, but uh, that's just sort of the name that, like, I couldn't picture him in it, you know? I don't either, but look, if, uh, he was in a show called uh, The Famous Teddy Z with John Cryer in the 80s, which is a fun sitcom uh, duet with um, uh, Matthew Lawrence, no relation to Joey Lawrence, uh fun actor from Eddie and the Cruisers and Walter Hill movies. Uh, like 
I love I love all those sitcoms. These are shows that'll probably pop up on TV Obscura. So don't be surprised if Nick Seagal gets brought back up again. I am a okay with that. And my favorite character and actor in the whole movie, John Terleski as Mike Brennan. I found him to be an absolute delight. Also a mega stud farm. His body is rocking. But I thought he was so much fun. And, you know, in the interview, he's like, you know, the whole chewing gum thing that he's sort of famous for in this role. You know, he's like, I did it because, you know, this character is supposed to be unlikable. He's, suppo- you're, he's supposed to be an asshole. You know, you're not really supposed to like him. So I kind of did that. And I was like, but you actually made him more endearing for some reason. And maybe that's just John Terleski. But I fucking loved him in this. Yeah, they kind of blew it with making him, uh, if his girlfriend was more sympathetic, then he would have been more unlikable. But his girlfriend was annoying too, so it actually made him look cooler, um, a.k.a. Nick Cassavetti's lookalike. Uh, and, and I mean, they both, you know, they got that, 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 that beautiful jaw. Yeah, that strong, strong jawline. Yeah, and this dude has been in everything from television to straight-to-video movies, and he's still working today. Yeah, he's, uh, he's still working on. Him. Yeah, he's still working on shows like The Blacklist and uh, SWAT on CBS. Like those are big-ass shows, and he's been he was on The Equalizer too. So he's working. Yeah. Honestly, I would love to interview him, but I mean, like at this point, like why would he want to be? He's like he's got so much work, but he doesn't need to come on our show. Who knows? But stranger things have happened. True. True. Susie Slater plays Leslie Todd. Oh, Susie. She's a babe, (laughs) and she's in Real Men. She plays the woman in bed in Real Men. (laughs) I know. I saw that. I I just watched Real Men within, like, the last, I think, month month and a half or something like that. But, yeah, it's, it's... yeah, she's uh, she's she's hot. It's it's she's amazing, honestly. And uh, but I do. Oh, she was also in uh, Savage Streets as well. Um, it's kind of a minor role. I do love in the credits of this film. Uh, they kind of show everybody a scene from the movie, and for her, they pause it on her head exploding. Um, it's hilarious. Now, her, this head exploding scene is very famous. People debate you know, best head explosions in movies. And this one's up there with scanners and, you know, all the other great ones. And I think personally with the the way they shot it and the way it cuts or the, the way they edited it, I think it's a fantastic head explosion. I agree. It's, it, it looks great. Yeah. Slowed in slow motion or regular. Yeah. Yeah. She was in a show called boys will be boys. And from, from the, from 1987, it's a it's a Matthew Perry sitcom. Oh my God! Look at Matthew Perry and Randy Heller from Karate Kid is in it. The kid uh, Demian Slade uh, from I Want My Two Dollars from Better Off Dead is in it. Yes, he is. <laughs> um, what a what a listen. The premise is a deceased ne'er do well gets a chance to redeem himself when he returns to the present to guide his younger self on the straight and narrow. Oh, it's like. It's like Matthew Perry now wishing he could go back and talk to his former self about all the drugs and alcohol that he put <laughs> to, into his body. To not do all that drugs and alcohol. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm gonna, M- Myra loves friends. I'm going to have to show her a picture of 1987 Matthew Perry. I've, you know I've got stories about Matthew Perry. So. Oh, I, didn't, I did not know that. And my ex-wife was like BFFs with him. Oh, okay. Okay, so, so those kind of stories. Yeah. 
Those are some amazing stories. Um, so really quick, we don't really need to list off the movies that they've been in, uh, but my God, Paul Bartel, Mary Warnov, Dick Miller, and Garrett Graham. There's a Four Horsemen of the B-Movie Apocalypse right there. Oh, my God, dude. And and all of them are in the movie for such a short, short amount of time, and they almost feel like vignettes because there's really, like, no connection to the rest of the of the group and everything, but each one of them crushes their scene so much. I don't know which one I love more. If I had to pick, I'd probably go with the Garrett Graham scene. I loved that scene, but I mean, all of them are great. And, and, uh, Paul Bartel and Mary Warnov, uh, they apparently ad libbed a lot of their, uh, dialogue during the presentation at the beginning of the scenes that the scene that they're in. That seems obvious. That seems obvious. Um, did you notice Angus Scrim? Yes, I did, and I, I it took me two viewings to find him, and I have it in the the breakdown notes where he is, so I can call him out there. So Angus Scrim, the tall man. Yep, he's he's in it without a close up. It's it's really crappy. You only see him. For, I'll just say it now. He 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 asks a question in the presentation. He stands up, but you only see him in a long shot from behind and they don't even give him a close-up and i missed him the first time i watched it interesting yeah interesting yep well i mean it's 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 like uh, tony naples is another actor too who's uh been in every jim winarski movie but she's kind of a b-movie scream queen-esque um yeah, I mean, this movie has like a bunch of people in it. So Arthur Roberts, who plays Mr. Todd, he plays, uh, you know, the, the father of um, uh, Susie Slater's character. I think I th- oh, it's in my script, but I think it's like Linda, maybe, I think. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not yeah. Linda. It's, it doesn't matter. We'll get to it. But yeah, I know who you're talking about. I'm like, why do I know this guy? Oh, because he was in Not of This Earth and Revenge of the Ninja. And and up, up in, in Smoke. smoke. <laughs> yep. General, I- of, General Hospital, too. Yeah, dude. Like a lot of movies. Uh, at first, I was like, "Wait, was he the was he in Reanimator?" But he looks like the the, the one of the guys in Reanimator. Anyways, yeah. uh, he's been in a ton of stuff as well. And then I will just want to call out one last person, Angela Ames. She has a small role at the beginning in the presentation, but we saw her in Bachelor Party. We sure did. I was waiting for you to call her out. Um, yeah, one more person in that in that presentation. I want to call out as well. But yeah. Just like a glimpse, and you're like, oh, shit, I remember her. Yeah. For something else. Some things else. <laughs> um, and, and the guy who runs the presentation, uh, do, uh, Dr. Simon, mm-hmm. he, his name's Paul Kufus. Kufus? Uh, he was in a movie called Food of the Gods Part 2. If you've never seen Food of the Gods or Food of the Gods Part 2, highly recommend you check those out. They are, they're uh, bad but good. A growth hormone experiment gets out of hand when the resulting giant man-eating rats escape wreaking havoc on unsuspecting campus with blood flowing everywhere. So, food of the gods. I just want to call out the fact that Paul Kufis, uh, when he says robot, he says robot. And just so you all know, I will refer to them as robots for the rest of the movie. Go for it. <laughs> all right buddy are you ready to get your chopping mall on i am ready they broke into the mall for the wildest all-night party of their lives they're dead meat but you're never alone 
in the chopping mall. What's that? Robot blood. Chopping mall. We're shopping costs you an arm and a leg. The movie opens with a young hoodlum breaking into a jewelry jewelry store in a mall after hours and stealing a handful of pearl necklaces and other shiny things. As he's casually walking away, we see one of the killbots creep up on him. The thief pulls a gun and the killbot tells him to stop right there and lower your weapon. He unloads the revolver on the metal security guard to no effect. So, of course, the thief takes off running with the killbot in hot pursuit. The robot catches up with him and shoots him in the back with a taser and gives him a lethal dose of electricity. That dude was in Not of This Earth, by the way. Oh, okay. Cool. The thief falls over dead and the killbot stands next to him heroically. Music kicks in and the and text on the screen reads, The End. Securetronics production pops up on the screen. Just then, a film projector stops playing, and we see a group of people in a mall after hours sitting in their chairs. A young woman walks up to the podium and says, That concludes the film portion of our presentation. Now, I'm sure you have questions, so let me introduce you to the head of, de- the head of development for Securetronics Unlimited, Dr. Stan Simon. Everyone claps as Dr. Simon walks on stage. Now, I think it was cool to start the movie that way, this little bait-and-switch scene, you know? Oh, yeah. It's I, it's great. I loved it. I, that's one of my first notes. I thought, oh, that's a cool commercial. I love how they did that. Yep, me too. Dr. Simon says, Before I open the floor, I'd like you all to meet your brand new security team, the Protector 101 series. We see two young ladies remove the sheet covering three robots on stage. Dr. Simon continues, One week from tonight at closing, the protectors will begin their patrol of the mall. The camera pans over the crowd and we see Mr. and Mrs. Bland in the front row, played by Paul Bartell and Mary Warnoff. Mary Bland and Paul Bland. It's hilarious. It is. I love it. I wonder if they just made up their own names or something. I'm sure they did. Mrs. Bland says they look like the Three Stooges. I like their commentary, by the way. Oh, yeah. No, it's good. It's a highlight. I I feel like the opening of this movie is very strong. Very much agreed. Dr. Simon keeps giving his presentation. Each assigned to one of three upper shopping levels. Mr. Bland comments, the one in the middle has an unpleasantly ethnic quality. That is gold, I thought. (laughs) Yes, it is. I mean, inappropriate gold, but gold. Of course. I mean, like, again, this was back in the day when everything... The Wild West. Well, and I think they're also supposed to be sort of, uh, you know, uppity kind of crappy people too, you know? Yeah, these are all the people that work for the mall, no, I take it? No, I think these are all the store owners of the mall. The, so. Yeah, sorry, the, that's what I meant, yeah. And real quick, side note, an interesting factor of this film is every business in the mall seems to be owned by a, like a small business owner, which may have been the case back in the day. But nowadays every business is just owned by a conglomerate. Yeah. Um, it, that was the case, you know, they're all independent. They're renting a space basically. Okay. So this was, this was maybe a bit more accurate than I, than I thought it was then. I think so. 
Yeah, okay. I think they were they rented their rented a space in the mall. And just over time, like everything, just companies buy up all these small stores. And then, you know, what was once, you know, a mom and pop, uh, you know, trendy clothing store gets turned into an H&M, you know, a franchise place. Yep, pretty much. Sad. Dr. Simon asks if anyone has any questions. Angus Scrim, with no close-up whatsoever, raises his hand and asks what these machines do besides kill criminals. Dr. Simon says, well, first of all, the protectors do not kill. They merely detain intruders until the computer, located on the roof, can patch into the mall system and send an alarm to the police. Two comments I want to make that's that's a problem with the script one they say the computer is on the roof and and later in the movie it's you know it's somewhere on the middle level and then also they say here that the the protectors protect the top three floors but they clearly protect the bottom three in this movie who cares there's gonna be a bunch of naked chicks in about 15 minutes yep this is just me nitpicking over nothing pretty much no 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 but it's you know it's come on like are you making a movie that's gonna stand the test of time that people go, wow, that was a good movie. Or are you going to make a movie where people go, wow, there's lots of tits and, uh, you know, teenagers get to beat off to it and pause and shit like that? I mean, I'd, I'd rather make the latter, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Wynarski. Classy. Zach's like, I'd rather make the former, I think. <laughs> Stay classy, Jim. Stay classy. There you go. Mr. Bland chimes in that the guy in the movie looks awful dead to him. Well, I mean, it's a movie, dumbass. Just neutralized. Protectors can achieve this function in a number of ways. At close range, sleep darts can knock a man out in less than 30 seconds. However, the likelihood of an intruder gaining entry is greatly minimized by the steel doors, which are locked from midnight until dawn. And we see a shot of a high-tech looking metal door closing over the exit. I'll say the uh, steel door things were actually pretty well done. Clearly like miniatures or something, but I, I, I think effective. Totally effective and realistic too. Yeah. And I mean, something reminded me like something out of like Robocop, like OCP would have. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, in the future, this is the future mall. Yeah, exactly. Mrs. Bland stands up and asks if they're called protectors, what do they protect? Dr. Simon replies plenty. And I, did you notice the look on her face when he says plenty? She's like me. And she like sits back down, like sort of dejected. Yeah. yeah. Classic Bornov. I know she's, she's fun. She's always great. Uh, we loved her in Night of the Comet. For starters, and TerraVision, and, maybe. And especially TerraVision. For starters, the protectors do their work in the mall proper, not in the stores themselves. Mr. Bland comments to his wife, maybe we can use one of these in the restaurant. Get rid of people we don't like. I'm assuming he's referring to ethnic-looking people. You would. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, Dr. I'm, I'm assuming he's referring to people named... Jim Shipling. What? Who? I fucking hate that guy. Wait, who's Jim Shipling, Corey? You know who Jim Shipling is? He works at the pack and ship down the street. Always <laughs> fucks up my packages that I try to send to you. Hate that guy. Kill him. Is this a Kill real bot. person? No, I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dr. Simon goes on, for instance, lasers positioned here, he points to the Killbot's red visor, can cut through any sort of debris. Another store owner stands up, and this is uh, Susie Slater character's dad um, later, we'll find out, um, stands up and asks, what about uh, those of us who work late? How can your things there distinguish between the good guys and the bad guys? 
Dr. Simon says it's very simple. He radios to the control room and tells them to bring number one online. The killbot comes to life and rolls forward to Dr. Simon. The machine barks. May I see your identification badge, please? Dr. Simon holds out his badge and the machine scans it. Mr. Bland says to his wife, They remind me of your mother. It's the laser eyes. <laughs> that was a good one, too. They remind me of my f- German friend who I admire so much. My German boyfriend. Stuart Scott. I call him SS for short. Mm. The SS He's Mino. so clean. <laughs> Once this killbot is done scanning the ID, it says, Thank you. Have a nice day. Dr. Simon looks back at the crowd and says that the system is foolproof. Everyone employed at the mall has been issued a badge, so when the system goes online, the protectors will make Park Plaza the safest mall in the state. Trust me, nothing can go wrong. And of course, Mr. and Mrs. Bland look at each other and roll their eyes. The camera dollies in on the one killbot that's activated right now, and the title Chopping Mall appears over it with a great font. Man, great font. Such a better title than Split Second. I totally agree. <laughs> Cue the f- most frenetic, frantic opening scene for a movie ever. Yes. Cut to a montage of mall life while the credits play. We see the outside of the Beverly Center, but like I said, the inside is the Sherman Oaks Galleria. There's all kinds of fun scenes. Uh, jo- Joey from A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4 uh, is, is seen stealing, obviously stealing records from a store. Yep. An old couple watching a young couple make out, and then they kiss too. I like that. Yeah, but it's but like the music's like. Yeah, it's it's yeah. very frenetic. Um, I, I it's I wrote the openings wild because it's 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 uh, like sped up double time, so everything's kind of moving faster than normal, and the music is odd. Uh, it's a it's horror esque type music. For a scene that I think is supposed to be a little bit more saturine, saccharine sweet, I think. Even though there's like the shots of the the shoplifter and there's random scene, the woman dumping food all over her family uh, accidentally. It, it's very frenetic. It's very cocaine induced. <laughs> the kid with the ice cream cone getting crushed in the uh, the elevator and having the ice cream squirmed like, all over him. The parade of beauty pageant contestants in bikinis walking around with their ass cheeks hanging out like in a mall with kids. Jim Wynarski, stay classy. Corey Stevenson would have been so happy in this mall back in the day. You know he's going to listen to this, by the way. You know Jim Wynarski's listening to this. <laughs> Jim, we'd love to talk to you, buddy. Come on the show. Yeah, yeah. You, we appreciate you. Of course we do. They don't call me Sleazy C for nothing. Zach knows what's up. He sure, I sure do. <laughs> the montage ends at a small Italian restaurant, eatery type of thing uh, inside the mall where Allison... Kelly Maroney and Susie Barbara Crampton uh, are working. Roger Corman and I think other B-movie posters are all over the restaurant. So I guess it's probably all Roger and Julia Corman movies and stuff. Yeah. Yep. I think in Jim Wynarski's movies, actually. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah. Deathstalker. Yeah. Things like that. It's crazy. We see the cook yelling for Allison and Susie to give him food orders. Allison says, can I get two Uncle Luigi belly busters, a double anchovy pizza, and an order of garlic logs? 
Wowzers. Man. I mean, that just gives heart me a, attack. I was gonna say that gives me heartburn just saying it. Well, the guy saying it too, I wrote down. I'm like, oh, that guy. He's not doesn't have a long lifespan. The 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 chef or whatever. The 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 guy who gets the food the oh, food order next. The the orca. Yeah yeah yes. no I, yeah no that dude's probably not alive right now. Nope. Susie says that's so gross. All right, guys and gals, there's some weird dialogue in this movie that I don't quite understand, but thank God. Vestron Blu-ray, subtitles, we love you. So, here we go. Thank you. Take that, Shout Factory. Exactly. What Mojave brain ordered that? Have you ever heard the phrase Mojave brain? No. No. And and then the dialogue that Allison and uh, Susie have together, you'll, you'll quote it, you'll point it out. It's so cringeworthy. It is. A lot of it is cringeworthy. It's it's wild. I mean, Mojave Brain is literally the tip of the iceberg, guys and gals. What? Because it's like desert? I don't know. I, I guess, but I've never, you know, heard that before. You know, my sister is, she's, was she seven, six years, seven years older than me? So she's probably about, you know, uh, four years older than you. But she would yeah. be a little bit older in the 80s. And I'm curious if she – she would never watch a movie like this. Um, but I'm curious if if these are actually phrases that maybe you and I were too young to sort of know and maybe they were a bit more like trendy phrases. I'm going to say no. Because we've never heard them in another movie ever? Yep, I'm going to say no. <laughs> You're right. I'm going to say Zach is right. There's a what's the movie Runaway Tom Selleck and uh, there's a there's a there's a uh, prostitute that gets arrested and she she calls Tom Selleck a wiener head she's like you wiener head and I always thought that was so funny because I'm like no one would call someone a wiener head no one no one says that you know who wrote that Michael Crichton <laughs> he's like this is gold Jerry gold wiener head everyone's gonna be using it it's like but it is you know what though but then there's shane black who wrote the monster squad who would have thought in a million years nards would be funny and and still around because of the same movie like if anyone in 2022 says nards i'm nine times out of ten you're referring to monster squad yeah or you got dorked yeah, like, I mean, and at the time, I, remember, I at the time I remember thinking that sounded stupid, and I would never say that. But now I watch it with a, a fondness. Mojave brain? No, no, not so much. Good, 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 uh, good effort though. <laughs> a for effort. Allison points to a very fat guy in the corner. Susie laughs and says, uh, "She should have known." That orca beaches here every night, always trying to snag some skin. Play it safe, Allison. Serve at arm's length if you get my drift. Then we see the cook, the old cook, smoking a cigarette behind the counter. I mean, not only is he indoors, he's in a restaurant, and he's cooking with the cigarette in his mouth. Disgusting. Allison says, and apparently it's like Allison's only been there for like a week or something like that. Um, Allison says, thanks for the advice, then grabs a hot plate and drops it on the floor. Someone yells, that's one! Which is that's kind of and people laugh. I thought that was kind of funny. The cook I mean, that rolls. Was funny. Yeah, the cook rolls his eyes. And he says, "You're breaking my heart." <laughs> well, the two girls are cleaning up the mess. Susie tells Allison that in an hour and a half we bail this barbecue, and it's good times to the max. You've just got a show. Is that good times to the max? 
I mean, I mean that tracks with the eighties, but like, <laughs> you're like it's your delivery. It's your delivery. It just doesn't. It falls flat to me. Well, you know, and it's, it's it's sometimes it's also the fact that like you know she's playing a sixteen year old, but she's clearly like you know twenty five. You know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Allison says she doesn't want to go to the party because she doesn't know anybody. But Susie reminds her that she will after tonight. It's actually true. It's, I actually like that. True. Uh, yeah. Allison is apprehensive, but Susie says she would never set her up with a slime dog. That's a quote, by the way. Mm-hmm. No way, babe. Then they both say in unison. It is babe, isn't it? The cook tells him to get back to work, and we see the orca ask for more butter. Who in their right Who in their right mind would would say that to a chick? It is your name. It, it is babe, isn't it? Like in reference to their name. Is that what's Is that what that's supposed to be? I, I don't. I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't honestly get the whole running gag in this movie of the whole it is babe isn't it i guess it, it comes up three times yeah. right i think it's three times yeah two yeah two or three or something but yeah it is multiple times but i just i i i took it as maybe it's an inside joke between them and you know what i'm cool with that if it's like if we're just hearing something that's their inside joke otherwise i don't really get it to be honest with you i don't get it it doesn't fit it doesn't work for me it's not sexy jack it's just it's not sexy <laughs> you know what would have been funny is if if he said something like if they said something like names don't matter babe or like you know who who cares about names babe or something like that i don't know or or if they said pass the butter babe and then uh you know he asked for the butter or whatever cuz i don't know yeah. if they are they referring or like are they mocking the fat guy or are they mocking some other guy that she tried to are they? Are, I think that's what are they mocking somebody that she that Susie tried to set Allison up with before? Maybe. Yes, that's what I think. Okay, all right. And then I'm like, Susie, uh, Allison's no catch. <clears throat> <Ooh>, boom. <laughs> Not gonna lie. I mean, I mean, give me Mike any day. You know what? What now? <laughs> what? Yeah. Cut to the outside of the mall at night, and there's a thunderstorm. So the movie must take place in January or February, right? Because that's the only time it remotely rains in L.A. Yes. <laughs> we see a lab technician working in the Killbot control room. He's monitoring things at his desk when lightning hits a breaker on the roof, causing alarms to go off and smoke to come out of the control panel. The technician thinks he has everything under control and goes back to reading his Playboy magazine. Just then, one of the robots comes to life and punches through the centerfold and rips out his throat. By the way, my takeaway here is they're all McGrubers. They do throat rips throughout this entire movie. <laughs> and then they put double-deckers in, in the toilet. It's weird to take a shit in the tank. Okay, why did you have to explain that to me? You fuck. I, I love McGruber so much. I, so do I. McGruber! Guys, guys, tug! <laughs> when she's flipping through his notebook and finds the madness about the guy with the, you know, the license plate. I can't, I can't, I can't. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. But yeah, so I was getting McGruber vibes this whole time because... That's their go-to. They do throat rips. It's great. I mean, maybe MacGruber got that from this. I wouldn't be surprised. And also, too, you know what I have no problem ever buying is that lightning 
turns robots sentient. I never have a problem with that whatsoever. It turned a spa into a death spa. So there you go. It it turned a you know uh, um, an army robot into a very nice robot in short circuit. It's almost the reverse of this. Yeah, agreed. It also turned Fisher Stevens into a Pakistani man. Yeah, that didn't track very well. <laughs> hey, Fisher Stevens, you got a you got a you got a problem playing um, uh, you know against type? No, not at all. Uh, what's what's the roll call for? Um, Middle Eastern. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. But, but I'm not. No, no, Middle Eastern. I oh, well, I'm. I get. You you mind wearing um? Do you mind wearing some brown on your skin? You mean like blackface? No, no, no. It's not racist because it's not black. It's brown. No, that's racist still. No, 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 it's not. Because you're not doing like a, uh, you know, an African accent. You're doing like a Pakistani accent. That's still racist. No, 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 no. It's not because we, it's, 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 you know, no, it's not. It's okay. And and it's only like a few years after the burning where he plays like a, you know, a kid at a, a you know, a summer camp. Yeah. From New York. Wild, dude. The 80s. Wild. Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey everybody, I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke. (laughs) And now, back to the show. Cut to a furniture store in the mall, and Ferdy, played by Tony O'Dell, comes out of the back room with an armful of fabric samples. He walks over to Greg, Nick Seagal, and Mike, John Terleski, and says, if my Uncle Sid finds out I let you do this, I'm dead. Mike asks if he's going to chicken shit out on them again. Ferdy says that Sid trusts him to take care of the store while he's gone. Mike says he ain't going to know diddly unless you tell him. Greg chimes in and tells Mike he's becoming a real candidate for prickhood. (laughs) He says if the place looks like shit on Monday, it's all their asses. So let's have a little teamwork. Greg asks Mike if he has the beer and Mike says, Dude... I love Mike. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) The fridge is packed. Greg goes on, Rick and Linda are bringing the food, clean sheets are definitely waiting, and Susie has a surprise for you. He smiles at Ferdy while Mike makes a weird, weird face, but I love it. They all make interesting faces. Make interesting choices. Jim Wynarski, interesting choices. (laughs) Good one. 
<laughs> Ferdy eventually uh, agrees to the party, and Mike leaves the store to go find his girlfriend, Leslie. There you go. Leslie is Susie Slater's uh, name. I, for some reason, I always forget her name. Well, she doesn't last very long, so that's probably why. Nope. Outside in a parking lot, we see Rick. Russell Todd, working on the engine of his truck, while Linda, Carrie Emerson, is in the driver's seat. There's a sign on the side of the truck that says, Ardell Automotives, we got away with wheels. You know, I wrote it down because the camera zoomed in on it, but I didn't find it to be all that clever. But I, I do like the fact that they're business owners, they own their own shop or whatever, but I thought they could have had a more clever name. Well, maybe if they thought the script out a little bit more... <laughs> <laughs> or hired someone. I can direct it. I can direct it. I can write it. Don't worry. It's all good. I'll do the casting too. I got that. But and it's funny because they had all kinds of other names, uh, shop names in in the movie that they thought they were really clever with. And I was like, yeah, it's you're you're not so clever with that one. Yeah, like I didn't actually find any of. Like, well, I guess, like, the things that they were like, this is clever. Like, when they're like, we know we're being clever, I thought this is when they were the least clever. Yeah, agreed. He tells her to give it a try, but the engine doesn't turn over. She says, strike three, you're out. My turn. And takes over for him. Linda tinkers with the engine, and it turns over. I appreciate their relationship, by the way. I do, too. I think they have a really good relationship. I, I wish that they had survived. Uh, Rick says, always the first time. Linda gets back in the truck looking very pleased while Rick is shaking his head. She says, I don't, I don't want to hear it. Not another word. Rick replies, me? No way. I covered the whole deal when I said for better or worse. Remember? Should have been for better or weird. They smooch. <laughs> and speaking about weird, what about this furniture store thing? Linda tells him to indulge her. We haven't had any fun since we sunk all of our wedding money into the business. Besides, Susie's counting on us. Rick says he doesn't care about... But Linda cuts him off and says, I guess I won't be needing this and tosses uh, him like this kind tiny little lingerie thing that she's going to wear. Rick smiles and slams on the gas and they peel out of the parking lot. So, yeah, I'm with you. I like them as a couple. I think it's really cool that they invested their money from the wedding into their own business. I thought that's really neat. Yeah, it's smart. Better than what a lot of people do, right? Yeah. What'd you invest your money in? What money? <laughs> I know, right? What do you invest your money in? Plastics. Plastics. <laughs> Plastics are the future. That's from uh, The Graduate. Yeah, I, under I understood that reference, as Captain oh, nice. America would say. <laughs> <laughs> and plastics are killing our world. Uh, back, yes. back in the mall, we hear an announcement over the speaker saying the Park Plaza will be closed in 20 minutes. Mike walks into a trendy clothing store and sneaks up on his girlfriend, Leslie, and grabs her breasts from behind. That's how Jim Wernarski uh, cast his actors. <laughs> Jim Wernarski can come on our show. <laughs> she gasps. Look, I don't grab them all. Just some. This is 2022, guys. I don't do that. Now. <laughs> now. She gasps and calls him a horny bastard, then says, can't you wait? And Mike says, no, I can't. And they start making out in the store. Leslie's dad, the owner of the store, uh, walks up and says, what can't you wait for, Michael? And he was one of the guys we saw um, in, in attendance in the beginning. Yes. Like, get your hands on my daughter, because I'm going to get my hands on her later. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag taboo. With Kay Parker? Sure. 
Do you know who that is? It's a, she's a porn star, right? Yeah, star of yeah, my mo- brother. My oh, star of the the porn movie Taboo One and Two. <laughs> yeah, my brother used to watch those. <laughs> yeah, me Zach, too. get in here. I want you to watch this. What? No, I want to go play with my GI Joes. Get in here. I want you to watch this. You want it? I'm going to show you something. It's called a queef. Wait, what? <laughs> beep beep. I want to go upstairs, play with my Joes. No, get in here with all my friends. Wait, what? Oh, Eric. Oh, oh, Eric. I told that story once, didn't I? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, I go back to a few earlier episodes. Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. If you listen from the beginning, it's a tapestry. You you weave, you put together a, a, ver- a quilt. Of, um... And then I followed up with a, like top five traumatic mo- moments in, with Dustin, I think. Yeah. That's yeah. a fun episode. Oh, man. Mike stammers a bit, but uh, Leslie saves his ass uh, and says, Daddy, he was just telling me about how he couldn't wait to take me over to Susie's house tonight for her um, birthday party. Mike has a big, cheesy smile, but Mr. Todd doesn't look amused. But he doesn't press further, and he tells them he's running late. Leslie says she'll lock up the store. After he leaves, they go back to making out. As one should with a hot guy and a hot girl make out. And this is where I noticed, I was like, okay, it's like every store is owned by like a small business owner. And it's, that's interesting. But it's also, you know, that is what has happened in America is, you know, all the small businesses have disappeared and just been consumed by Walmart, Target and Amazon and everything. Pretty much. Yeah. How can you compete? How can you compete with somebody when you can have something delivered tomorrow? I mean, we're all guilty of it. I don't, I don't want to, but I mean, I live on the Amazon app just as much as anybody else. Shit, I want to support small businesses, but it's so much. Sometimes it's so much more expensive. I know, and fucking, I, yeah, I'm with you, buddy. I am with yeah. you. I gotta watch every penny and buy every toy that comes up for pre-order. <laughs> Didn't you pre-order? Really, you pre-ordered yeah. that JCVD, um, uh, what was it, uh, Diamond Select toy, right? That's I coming sure out? did. Yeah. I rarely buy action figures anymore because Bodie's pretty much out of action figures at the moment. And uh, But I saw that bad boy come up, and I'm like, this is not for him. This is for me. I'm, I, I've always wanted a Jean-Claude Van Damme action figure based on Bloodsport, always. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what's cool? Uh, Diamond Select Toys owned by Diamond, which owns uh, previews and everything. And uh, the if you go to any comic book shop in America, um, all of their merchandise comes from previews, comes from uh, Diamond uh, comic distributors and those previews magazines. I used to work as a customer service rep um, there because they are based out of Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, Diamond Select Toys, we were like in the basement of this like, you know, office park building. Diamond Select Toys was upstairs and everything. And I had friends up there just through smoking outside and run into people, get to know people. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Smoking was always the best thing I ever did for my social life back in the day. And um, but the cool thing is that they would like just sometimes be like, hey, you know, we got so much shit up here. Everyone just come up and just fucking grab something, you know? And I we would go up there and get statues. I had this awesome fucking shockwave sat- statue and everything. And yeah, it was it was awesome to see, you know, uh, Diamond Select Toys right there. I don't know where they're located now, though. I don't either. But anybody that makes a Jean-Claude Van Damme Bloodsport action figure is okay in my book. <laughs> Agreed. By the way, speaking of toys, did you notice the G.I. Joe toys that are in this movie? Oh, yes. And I noted it, and I was going to discuss it when it comes up. I actually made a okay. note of it. Okay, cool. 
Cut to the obligatory woman's locker room in the mall. Sure. Sure. Uh, again, I worked in a mall. There were no locker rooms, but okay. No, there's no locker rooms, Jim Wynarski. Come on. <laughs> well, this is normal. This is normal. R- written, it is? Written by someone who's never probably worked in a mall. Yeah. Take your clothes off. Okay. Allison is on the phone with her dad asking for permission to stay out. She walks over to Susie, who's getting dressed. She tells Susie she can stay out, and Susie says, That's bitchin'. I wish I had it that easy. My parents still think I'm a kid, which is weird because you're like 26. (laughs) Allison looks apprehensive and says, why do I have the feeling I'm going to regret this in the morning? Susie reminds her that she had a very rough first week. You owe yourself a little blowout. It'll be fun. Allison says, okay, just as long as I don't have to look at any more pizza. Susie gives her a big hug and says she won't regret it. Uh, you owe yourself a little blowout. I mean, that's, again, another phrase I've never heard, but I, I get this one. This one I understand. It would have been really funny if she's like, you owe yourself a little blow. I owe myself a little blowout, and then she takes some cocaine out, <laughs> and they do some lines in the bath in the in the locker room. <clears throat> did you notice the topless lady walk by behind them? Of course I did. <laughs> You're like, what kind of question is that? I mean, I'm just like, of course there's, of course. Sure. <laughs> it wasn't really funny, too, if Susie's like, you know, my parents still think I'm a kid. <laughs> Sorry, it's my emphysema because I'm 26. <laughs> yeah, seriously, dude. I mean, I look, it is what it is. It's the way movies are. But it's sometimes, sometimes suspension of disbelief is a little hard sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Barbara. <laughs> oh, Crampton. Cut to them walking through the mall while an announcement over the PA says Park Plaza will be closed in 10 minutes. Susie is putting on her makeup and applying a ton of hairspray while Allison says she hates blind dates. Susie says back to her, well, stop worrying. Like I said, he's got, and they both say in unison, a great great personality. Back in the Killbot control room, another technician played by Garrett Graham walks in. My boy, my man. Dude. We saw him in Terrorvision. We loved him in that. But we were on Cinema 9 Podcast, and what did we see him uh, over there? The Annihilators, baby. That's right. Uh, Go check out that uh, episode of Cinema 9 Podcast. We had a lot of fun talking to the guys over there about The Annihilators, and uh, we still uh, plan on actually breaking down and reviewing that movie as well, but we wanted to put some time between that episode and, and the proper breakdown. Yeah, it's shuffled somewhere in Corey's stash. Yeah. Or, well, you already opened it, I guess. But It's open, and since we both have it, we can probably use it if we ever need an emergency or something like that in the future. But yeah, it was a, we will not have an emergency. Th- no, as I stare at a stack of 20 movies that you sent me. Yeah, Garrett Graham was in um, Phantom of the Paradise, too, though. I don't know if we'll ever get to that, but it's... That's one of my favorite Brian De Palma movies. That is a movie I've never seen, although I've always liked the look of the the guy in it, you know. And uh, the one, yeah, the fact that you've talked about it so highly uh, for so long, it's very high on my watch list. Do you happen to know if it's streaming anywhere? No, but I know Shout Factory put out a. I think they. I think it was Shout Factory put out a really nice um, special edition. Okay. Okay. Interesting. All right. I'll, I'll I'll check it out. I'll see if I can find it. Uh, you know, on Amazon or something. Speaking of Amazon, I'll see if I can go find it. 
Oh, man. Sorry sorry to our mom-and-pop Blu-ray stores in downtown Eugene. I'd love to support you, but you don't ever have the new stuff. So you just have a million copies of the generic, like, John Wick Blu-rays used and stuff. You know, they never have, yeah. like, the Arrow Blu-rays and stuff. No. Sorry. It is what it is. So, all right. Our boy Garrett Graham, he walks in reading a book. He says, Marty... I'm sorry I'm late, but it was all-you-could-eat night at the pit, and I couldn't resist the opportunity to pig out. He looks around but doesn't see Marty. Then he looks at the killbot and says, How's it hanging, guys? <laughs> Garrett sees Marty's half-eaten donut and shoves it in his mouth and then says to the killbots, Waste not, want not, know what I mean? <laughs> no, I guess you don't. He sits in his chair with his back to the killbots and starts reading his book. The killbots come to life for a second and look around, then power down. Garrett looks behind him, but doesn't see anything amiss. The phone rings, and he picks it up. Hello? What do you mean, who is this? You called me. No, Marty's not here right now. And the person hangs up. This is the first of two weird phone gags. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, though. Garrett Graham's great. He's great. Garrett sits back in his chair with his back to the robots and reads his book. He keeps turning around when he thinks he hears something, but the killbots seem to be powered down. This uh, it's a little bit padded here, but that's okay because I don't, I, I don't, I don't want less Garrett Graham. But this little this buildup is a bit padded. But just then, one of them shoots him in the back of the neck with like its tasers or something, and then yanks his head back. It's that's really fucking cool. But this is the, and that's it, that's the end of the scene. But this is what I was talking about earlier, how these, like, with the big actors, like Mary Warnoff and Dick Miller and Garrett Graham, they all feel, feel like they were filmed separately, you know what I mean, as little vignettes. They probably did, they, you know, who knows, maybe they did a favor for them, or, you know, they were only available for a certain time, and um, that that's, that, uh, those are the moments I remember from these type of movies when they have little cameos. It's not like they do cameos now where it feels like it's organic and it kind of fits in within the narrative of the story. Not that these don't, but these f feel like they've yeah filmed them out of sequence or something. And, and you know, because they had them for like the short amount of time and they had to take advantage of it. And even and I would say even maybe the technician scenes right here might have been filmed later just to even add some time to the film because they kind of feel like they might not even like if they were taken out it, you wouldn't probably miss anything if this was made now by Jim Wynarski there would be an extra 10 minutes of sex scenes probably <laughs> and that's fine too <laughs> yeah I mean look it's it's the audience you know the audience that you're appealing to yeah by the way can we please interview Garrett Graham I know he would be great. I would fucking love to talk to him. Who knows what he's up to nowadays? He's still alive, though. He he is. Is he? Is he's not really in the spotlight anymore, though? Is he? I don't think he is. No, I don't know. Well, he's got to be up there, though. Yeah, uh, yeah, probably. Back in the furniture store, everyone is dancing and drinking while music plays on a boombox. Did you like the song that was playing? No, it's terrible. The dancing is so bad. It's just so bad, like cringeworthy, and not in a good way. Like I love. I love it. This was not doing it for me. And and the song is like street walking and it's about like a hooker picking up Johns. Yeah. <laughs> like why? Written by Jim Wynarski. <laughs> Written by Jim Wynarski. No, it's not. I, of course, through this whole thing, by the way, if I throw Jim Wynarski in this, I'm just joking. I'm just joking, guys. We're, we're just joking, Jim. Please come on our show. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know you're listening. We we see Ferdy in the bathroom looking nervous as he tries to adjust his collar of his shirt to look cooler. He does look cooler, though. He does look cooler when he does that. And I'm like, you know what? That's cool. Like, he literally does. It does change his appearance. Popping the collar. and I'm not going to lie to you. I was digging that vibe. I think he should have kept it. You should have. I will say this. The, I agree with you. The dancing was was a little whack, a little lame, but I like this camera shot right here. Um, so we see a cool shot of some of the couples dancing, and they separate as the camera dollies forward and then focuses on the, the storage room door. That was cool. Very cool. Yeah. I, I think his cinema, I think his cinematography is, is solid. Yeah. Like better than it has any right to be type of thing. Yeah, like he's got a good intention there. Mm-hmm. And weird side note, I kind of always like it in movies when people have to get out of the way of the camera and then sort of try to make it feel organic. And yes, the dancing was kind of like overall lame, but I think the actors did a good job of organically moving out of the way of the camera. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. I was l- looking up the uh, cinematographer. His name is Tom Richmond done a lot of things but a lot not not much of that i've heard of uh nick and nora's playlist oh infinite playlist that movie yeah uh oh house of a thousand corpses no shit okay interesting okay well that's something that's definitely something waking the dead slums of beverly hills okay okay all right so he's 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 an accomplished uh cinematographer and honestly Like you said, yeah. Yeah, I think he did a great job in this movie. Love in a 45? That's it, actually a very underrated movie, in my opinion. Later on, there's a one-take shot where the camera moves around where everybody's making out and stuff, and I thought that was really well done. Yeah. No, I think it's good. It's, it's uh, you know, I mean, impressive. And I cut you off when you were saying Love in a 45. Did you say you like that one? Yeah, it's a really good movie. Underrated. Okay. Who, who's in that? Gil Bellows, when he... If you guys don't know who Gil Bellows is, he um, he was in Shawshank Redemption. Mm. Um, he was in that show, Ally McBeal. Oh, uh, is he the one in Shawshank that um, thought he was doing a good thing by helping out, but then winds up getting killed or something? Yes. Yeah, yes. that guy. Uh, okay. Renee, Renee Zellweger is in it. It's okay. one of her first movies. Jeffrey Combs is in it. Um, Interesting. It's, uh, Peter Fonda. Uh, it's like a thriller? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a little it's it bites off of Natural Born Killers. Did it come out after Natural Born Killers? Uh, it came out I think around the same time, okay. ninety four, I believe. Um, so, which I think that was the same time. I feel like it was. That sounds about right to me because I was in high school, but I wasn't graduated yet. So that sounds about right. I graduated in ninety six. Yeah. Oh yeah, and he was the um, cinematographer for Killing Zoe as well. I remember that movie. I, I saw that once with uh, Eric Stoltz is in it. Yeah. yeah. Oh shit. I mean, I'm going down a rabbit hole with this guy. He did the cinematography for one of my favorite baseball movies called Pastime. Okay. And and a movie called Heaven Is a Playground, a basketball movie. Oh, and I'm gonna get you, sucker, and <laughs> the Chocolate War, and Stand and Deliver. Uh, wow. Dude, uh, hard bodies too. Ch- chopping mall, man. Chopping mall's got it, man. The cinematography. Yeah, and it looks like he got his. He, he did the cinematography for the Y and T song "Mean Streak," 
which is a great song, by the way. Okay, okay. And Hard Bodies. All right. And Hard Rock Zombies. They are all right. Well, guys and gals, you can go down the rabbit hole later. We're oh, gonna... sorry. Okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> We're going to get back into uh, Chopping Mall. So out of the back comes Susie and Greg leading Ferdy by the belt and shoulder, respectively. Susie says, tonight you're going to shake that ultra Wally image of yours once and for all. Ferdy says he likes his image, but they push him in front of Allison, and he immediately stops protesting when she smiles at him. Clearly, he's smitten by her big teeth. Oh, she's never coming on the show. (laughs) Not unless we pay her. There you go. Inside the mall proper, we see each of the killbots (laughs) patrolling their assigned floors. Uh, they say level one, two, and three, even though the, even though the presentation earlier says they would be patrolling the top three floors. Okay. Who cares? Sure. One, one of the, who kill- cares? Who it's cares? just the, you know, technicality of the script. Doesn't matter. It's all good. One of the Killbots stops at the furniture store and looks and at everyone partying, but moves on. He's like, not my problem. <laughs> Shitty dance. <laughs> Shitty dancing. Crappy dancing. Nice boobs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come back later during the love scene. <laughs> I love the, the Dalek voice that you're doing. <laughs> you are welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the furniture store, Linda comes out from behind a curtain wearing her sexy lingerie for Rick, who's in bed. He says, lady, you got a license for that outfit? She says, no, officer. You're just going to have to take me in. Then she jumps on top of him as the camera pans over to Greg and Susie kissing on the couch. And this, by the way, is this is the all one take shot and everything, which I think is very well done for a very sleazy scene. Yeah, it's a orgy scene basically pretty much because they're all right next to each other greg says you smell like pepperoni Susie gets up and says if you if that's the way you feel and he and sort of faces the camera like perfectly faces the camera right on her mark uh greg says wait a minute i like pepperoni Susie's i liked how he said that by the way yeah me too (laughs) me too i like honestly i like greg honestly i like all the male leads in this movie. I think they do a great job. I agree. Susie reminds me of girls I've dated in the past where like you say one thing, they're like, you made a face. What? You made a face. Like I disgust you or something like, wait, what? What? I don't, I was just, do you kind of get a piece of pizza? And then, and then you feel like you have to like walk on eggshells because you never don't quite know what's going to trigger something and everything. That's, yeah, my those God. are, those are nightmare relationships. Yeah, I've had a couple of those. Oh, we know, buddy. We know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) You've talked about a lot of them. Uh, So so he likes pepperoni. So, of course, that causes Susie to smile. She kind of takes off her top for the camera and does this, like, like a song thing like she while she's doing it but it's very uncomfortable it's, i was very uncomfortable i was like no you don't need to take your clothes off don't 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 take your clothes off guys sleazy c here i was uncomfortable too i, I mean like we, we've seen her naked in, in reanimator and, and everything pretty much everything and this is the one time i was like you know kind of would have been hotter if you just left your top on yeah again not barbara crampton's greatest role and and I, I don't think we're being unfair in saying no. that because we all know she's a really good fucking actor. So, yeah, not not her best role. 
And again, this is still one take. The camera then dollies over to Mike and Leslie in bed. Mike's head is under the covers, and Leslie says, you know I don't allow that. Mike says from under the covers, you allowed it last week, didn't you? Wow. What girl do you know doesn't like having a guy go down on her? I, I, I don't I don't know. I, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I don't it's, like that. It's, okay. I don't allow that. Or or maybe she doesn't like the way he does it. I, That's what it is. Yeah, probably. She's she's trying to be nice. He just sucks at it. Oh, Mike, your head game sucks. She gives He gives head like he chews gum. <laughs> oh, my God. Ooh, he probably has the gum in his mouth right now. Oh, he's all still stuck. Yep, it's getting stuck <laughs> in her labia. <laughs> or her hairs. Yep. Oh God! Don't make me laugh. I'll go into a coughing fit. Uh, so she giggles, and the camera then moves over to Allison and Ferdy watching Attack of the Crab Monsters from 1957 on the couch. That would have been funny if Mike's like, "Hey, babe, look, I'm flossing." <laughs> that would have been funny. Sorry. <laughs> you almost you almost made me cough, buddy. Allison screams and buries her face in Ferdy's shoulder. Ferdy asks if he can get her some more wine. Allison says, are you trying to get me drunk? He says, no, I figured you might be thirsty. He goes on, part of the reason Greg fixed me up tonight was so I wouldn't squeal to my uncle. I never thought it would be so, you know, nice. Allison says, it's nice for me too, Ferdy. And I, by the way, you know, not the hugest Kelly Maroney fan, but I do think that they have really good chemistry together. They do. They do. Uh, something happens later in the movie where she doesn't flinch when something kind of freaky happens when everyone else is in them. And I'm like, but here she is totally cowering in the scene. It makes me wonder if she was just doing that so she could put her head on his shoulder. Good. Yeah, probably. Good call, buddy. And call out later with uh, what you're referring to. But that's a good, that's a good call. I like that. I would, I would choose, I would choose the, the, the world building reason versus, you know, bad directing or acting, you know, I, Giving her credit. Yes, thank you. And good world building. Just then, we hear Leslie have an orgasm in the bed next to them. Well, maybe Mike did do his job right, you know? Or he got his gum stuck there. (laughs) Hold on, babe. We'll be right back. (laughs) He he, he saves it in her belly button for later. Uh, They kind of laugh, and Ferdy offers to take Allison home because the mall will seal up in an hour. She says that's sweet of him, but she'll stay a little while longer. Then she tosses a styrofoam cup over her shoulder and it lands in the trash can. Ferdy says, nice shot. And they kiss as the movie ends. Oh, oh. I, so at first I was like, the first two times I watched it for this review, I was like, why did why did she do that? Why did he say that? He keeps saying to her, nice shot throughout the film. She shoots the gun later. She blows up the, the kill bot at the end. He says, nice shot. I get it. So that's kind of like a running gag thing. Sure. Yeah. Not the most clever. Babe's your name, right? <laughs> babe is your name, right? It is babe, right? Isn't it? <laughs> oh, man. Cut to our boy, Janitor Dick Miller. Mopping up a spilled milkshake and popcorn on the ground looks disgusting, by the way. Yes. Two other janitors walk up to him while drinking beers and asks, and asks, if, he ha- and asks if he's having a good time. Dick Miller shoots back, go ahead and laugh, but if I ever find the little bastards that did this, they're dead meat. God, it's I love his voice, dude. Yeah, me too. So good. Speaking of, uh, I know you just watched Gremlins. What's the dad's name? Hoyt? 
in real life. Oh, Hoyt Axton? Fucking love his voice in, in, in Gremlins. I don't know him from anything else, but his voice is burned in my brain from that movie. Yeah, I feel like he was a country singer or something. I think he, yeah, I think he was. I think he was. Um, one of the janitors tells him to hustle or he'll be locked in the mall again. Dick Miller says he's, he's out of there in 10 minutes. They laugh and walk off drinking their beers, probably going to drink more in their cars as they drive home because <laughs> that's what people did in the 80s. Dick Miller grumbles to himself as he mops up the mess. He doesn't hear one of the killbots drive up behind him until he knocks over the bucket of slop. Dick Miller turns around and says, You clumsy son of a bitch, I ought to turn you into scrap metal for this. The killbot asks to see his identification badge. Dick Miller asks, Identification badge? Then the robot says, Do not make any sudden moves. Dick Miller says angrily, I'll give you a sudden move upside your head. And he goes to swing the mop at the killbot, but it fires one of its tasers. The projectile misses him and lands in the puddle that Dick Miller is standing in. And I, I like how ineffective it is. It's just like a pop. And he's like, and Dick Miller just like looks down at it. You know, yeah. it, it's like a little limp dick type of thing. You know, I'm going to. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm done. He points at the taser and says, what is this? You worthless pile of junk. Then he tries to reason with the killbot. Hey, look, I'm like you. I work here. See? And he points to his ID. When the robot doesn't reply, he lifts his mop again and says, Ah, shit, I knew you bastards were going to be trouble when they first brought you in here. Before Dick Miller can land a death blow with his mop, the killbot turns on the laser and electrocutes him. The killbot says, Thank you. Have a nice day. And rolls away while Dick Miller's body is still smoking. And then he's got some like prosthetics on his face too uh, that yeah. they didn't do a good job of showing. So I would have just been like, why even apply them? You know? No, just let him sit there, be dead. I do like his him getting electrocuted though. That was fun. You even see like yeah, that- you know the the animated skeleton inside him. Again, another thing I'm a hundred percent always a sucker for is when someone gets electrocuted and you see the skeleton inside them. Yeah, very cool. I like that. My favorite is still when Darth Vader throws Palpatine down the the shaft in Return of the Jedi, and you can see like his skeleton underneath with the electricity and stuff. Oh yeah, that yeah, that's great. One of the yeah, best. I agree. One of the best. Cut to Mike and Leslie in bed, and Mike says, "Smoking is bad for your health." Leslie whines, "I have to have a cigarette, and I have to have it now." Not gonna lie, as an ex-smoker, I totally understand that. Mike says, "Are you for real? Can't you think of anything you'd rather have besides a smoke?" He starts rubbing her leg, and she says no. Mike says he thinks there's a pack of camels under the register, but Leslie says she only smokes Virginia Lights. Also, as an ex-smoker, I can relate to you know having your brand that you want. She tells him there's a vending machine down by the phones. Mike gets out of bed in a huff and says, you always get your way, don't you? To which she replies, when I'm happy, everybody's happy. Mike asks her to hand him his badge, and she says, what's the magic word? And he says, hand me my badge, please, with a shit-eating grin. <laughs> Mike goes to walk away, and Leslie calls back to him. He stops and says, what? What, 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 what? Love that, by the way. <laughs> Leslie flashes her boobs and says, hurry back. Mike unlocks the front door of the store and walks into the mall shirtless. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Mike is supposed to be an asshole, but the fact that Leslie's more of an asshole than he is makes Mike look more sympathetic. 
Yeah, there's nothing else that makes you. There's nothing that makes you think that he's an asshole. Yeah, yeah. He, he's not a jerk to, uh, you know, if he was a jerk to Ferdy, like uh, all uh, you know, every cliche kind of. There's always like the bully in the group that picks on the that picks on the nerd kid, and he doesn't do that. So there's no he doesn't give a reason an inkling that he's a jerk. Mm-mm. And I think he's freaking awesome. Every time he's on screen, I I enjoy like I enjoy his acting. I enjoy what he's doing and everything. I also enjoy him shirtless because wow, just as a straight heterosexual man, I'm just saying fucking wow. <laughs> All I kept thinking the whole time was. These dudes probably didn't eat the day before and all they did was drink Diet Coke because apparently that's the way that you get your veins to pop out uh, and, and like look all chiseled because these guys did. And I'm like, I guarantee you they're not eating and they're drinking Diet Coke. Yeah, I mean, even Greg is fucking ripped in this, you know, and, and we learned that little uh, uh, tidbit of information on what to do from uh, Dan Stevens on, on the guest on behind the scenes stuff. That's right. That's right. Yeah, he was a smoke show, too. Not going to lie. Definitely tried it. And then I'm like, ah, but I'm hungry. <laughs> and now you're all jittery. Yeah. At the vending machine. Subway sandwich. At the vending machine, he says, a buck and a quarter? My God, compared to nowadays, dude. Then he goes, Zach's like, I don't know. What is it? <laughs> Zach doesn't smoke. <laughs> They're like nope. 20 bucks a pack now or something insane. As they should be. Smoking's bad for you. Don't smoke. People. I completely agree with you as as, a, as an ex-smoker of 20 years i if i could go back in time i wouldn't change a goddamn thing <laughs> but i'm never gonna smoke again though the cigarettes that is weed yes <laughs> then he goes fishing in his pocket for change uh we see a killbot slowly creep up on him then sort of hide behind the corner when he looks back just then the payphone next to him rings and he answers it yeah, no, Jamal, there haven't been any messages for you. And he hangs up the receiver, goes back to a vending machine. Is that a is that a drug dealer thing because uh, they use pay phones and whatnot? I don't know. It's funny, though. It's weird. Yeah. Just then, the killbot comes up from behind him and asks to see his identification badge. Bike says, geez, you little bastards are quiet. Mike presents his badge and says, Klaatu, Barada, Niktu, Okay. Which is, of course, a reference to the day the Earth stood still. And Army of Darkness several years later. Yep, Army of Darkness. Oh, I'm also, sorry. No, no, good. I'm glad you called that out. I'm going to call out the fact that um, on Jabba the Hutt's barge, there are three alien types. Um, like You see them also in now new shows and whatnot, but they one alien is called a Klaatu, another one's called a Barada, another one's called a Nikto. So they're... Everyone references that fucking movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still. I think I've only seen it once. You know, I love how people pop boners over Citizen Kane. It's like, yeah, it's a good movie, but, I mean, look, things come out after and are better, so it's all good. You don't have to constantly stroke the original. Yeah, exactly. Got stroked enough. It's all chafed out. It's all chafed. And then they remade it with Keanu Reeves uh, back in the early 2000s. Yeah, I never saw it. I did. Oh, I did because I was working at the video store and I was bored. So I was like, I'll pop that in. So uh, I can't recommend it, 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 but it passed the time when I was there. You know, not a Keanu Reeves fan. Oh, my. Yep. I don't think he's a yeah. <laughs> Dang. good guy. Sure. Not a fan. OK. OK. I mean, I'm, I'm there's 
yeah, I'm not a fan of like Nicolas Cage and whatnot. People love, I, you know, I've liked them more as I've gotten older, but when I was younger, I really couldn't stand them. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. It's not everybody's cup of cup of Joe. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Killbot raises its arms, which is kind of like its aggressive move, which kind of reminds me of like a monkey or something. Uh, but he raises his arms and moves towards Mike aggressively. He tries to go out the doors behind him, but they're locked. The Killbot shoots him in the back with a trank dart, and he goes down hard. But then the Killbot reaches for his throat. Oh, Mike throat punch he just got banned from twitter <laughs> yes he did and then reinstated and the scene cuts to leslie in a button-down shirt and underwear leaving the furniture store to look for mike she says she's not in the mood for games allison and ferdy are still watching tv while greg and Susie are on the couch behind them fooling around i want to point out really quick sure. that 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 scene allison and ferdy on the couch feels like a misstep because that they started making out when that other movie ended and that would you one would assume that cuts to them making out just making out i'm not talking about having sex or anything like that yeah. just making out yeah but then it's back to them just watching tv again like that scene never even took place yeah because yeah. they're not being as affectionate with each other as they were right before that happened yeah it's it's, it's weird it's, it's like they added on they padded it's like a an outtake that they just added in I feel you. I know, I know what you're talking about. I, I do feel that. The, the vibe is a little bit different, yeah. Allison asks, what's up with Mike and Leslie? Ferdy says he can't figure them out. All they do is have sex and fight, Allison says, like most couples. Ferdy reminds her they have about 15 minutes before the mall locks up. Allison puts on her sweater and says, Ferdy, thanks, then turns off the TV. You know, See, like most this couples. this is the thing. Yeah like, yeah, like most couples. She makes out with him earlier and then he's like treating and then he's being kind of like hands off with her but and did, she did, says but do they make out though did we actually see ferdy and allison make out prior no we don't but they kiss but right they, uh, mm, shit now i'm having a problem remembering i don't think they actually do but i will say this i will say this i don't think they make out and i don't think they actually kiss but they're they were more closely affectionate than they are now yeah, and suddenly she's like, "Thank you for being for being a gentleman." Yeah, yeah. Like you, you. I get what you're saying. The way the previous scene implies, they probably would have progressed to the next level, but it doesn't seem like it happens. Yeah, and I'm with you. I'm with you there. I feel I feel that tonal shift as well. Cut to a. <laughs> feel something here, buddy. Cut to a close-up of Leslie's ass, a.k.a. Susie Slater, uh, as she's walking through the mall. That's what I wrote. I wrote, butt shot. I mean, it's square in the camera. It's wild. She heads over to the vending machine. What's This is even more wild, but doesn't see Mike's body in the shadows next to it. As she's calling out for him, she stumbles over his legs and then tells him to wake up. That's it. I don't need this crap. As she shakes him, she kind of pulls him forward into the light, and we see his throat ripped out MacGruber style. MacGruber! Hell yeah! Weak! <laughs> I, I love Val Kilmer when he says, Weak! <laughs> Leslie screams as the killbot comes out of the locked door and chases her while firing lasers out of its visor. One hits her in the shoulder and another in the ass, but she keeps running and screaming. Everyone in the furniture store runs to the doors just in time to see Leslie's head explode. 
The Killbot says, Thank you. Have a nice day. Then looks like it runs over the actor's foot as it goes by her saying, Protector one, arming, detain intruders. Another Killbot rolls up and says, Protector two, arming, assist Protector one. Did you happen to notice that? I, I caught it the first time I watched it. Uh, it's, you know, obviously a person is laying there, is, you know, the actor. And then the killbot is being remote controlled by, you know, someone off camera. And it yeah. doesn't quite clear her foot. And for a split second, you can see the tread run over her toes. And I'm just wondering if, if they broke Susie Slater's toes by oh, accident. Poor Susie Slater. Greg tells everyone to go into the storage room in the back as the two killbots shoot out the front door glass and chase the kids through the store. Both killbots are firing their laser everywhere and destroying the furniture and walls and all kinds of trinkets. I like this. Ferdy grabs Allison and they crash through a glass table. I thought that was a cool stunt. Yeah, that was cool. Everyone eventually makes it into the storage room and they lock the door and barricade it with boxes. They start debating about what to do next when all of a sudden they hear the time-locked metal door shutting all over the mall. That's cool, by the way. Yeah. Allison asks what that noise was, and Greg says, that's the sound of us being locked in here all night. The security doors won't open till 6 a.m. Susie starts to panic, ugh, and says they're never going to get out of here. Oh, here's my note. She's the fucking Hudson of the group. She is, but she's so annoying because, like, it's so over-the-top melodramatic. After being such a kind of cool character, like, she has an immediate meltdown. Uh, granted, you see your friend get their head explode. That that would be, that's cause for trauma for sure. <laughs> but still, it's like, it's so, it's it's really kind of grating, actually. I know, dude. Uh, it's one of those things where, honestly... Like I said earlier, every time I watch it, I always kind of forget that she dies. But at the same time, I'm also glad that she dies. Yeah. Yeah. She's given some she's given, in my opinion, too many moments to have meltdown scenes. Yeah. And then some worst ones are going to come later. Yep. Ferdy checks the phone, but it's dead. Allison points to the air duct and asks if that'll work. Ferdy says if they take it down to the parking level, they can get out of the mall. The gang agrees, and the guys start helping the girls up the vents while the killbots spray explosive gel on the hinges of the storage room doors. One of the robots leaves to go into an alternate access while the other stays behind to blow the doors. Right when the last girl, Allison, gets into the vent, the doors of the storage room explode and fall over. The guys go running as one of the killbots rolls into the room shooting. Greg gets hit in his shoulder as they run out the back with the killbot in pursuit. As I, when that scene happened, it reminded me a little bit of Phantasm Two with the when the balls get upgraded with their lasers and their drills and like more advanced spheres, and it makes me wonder if Don Coscarelli was a little influenced by this because uh, you know these ro- these robots have literally every accessory you can think of like the spheres do in phantasm 2 which came out two years later and i like how you know i, I could buy the la- laser thing because he does say that it's to cut debris or something like that but why do you need like semtex or plastique or whatever it is to you know in that you know but yeah it makes me like the backstory could be that they had these hidden in them 
the backstory for me is that these were maybe designed for the military, but the military didn't pick up the contract. So they sold them to like, a, you know, as security force. Yeah. And they just forgot to, uh, they, there could be an easy scene where like a, a general is talking to a private and he's like, private, did you disarm those robots before you sent them off? And the private would be like, yes, sir. And he walks away and the guy goes, Oh shit. You know what? Cut like a few of the screams out of uh, out of Susie Barbara Crampton and add that little scene in. I'd be happy yeah. with that. Good uh, one, buddy. I would. Sure, thanks. Good, good world building. You're the world builder tonight. I've taught you well. It's how I just. That's how I got through this movie <laughs> by world building. <laughs> Cut to Allison, Linda, and Susie crawling through the vents. Linda says, "I thought this was an air conditioned duck." Allison says that it feels like the heat has been turned on. They know we're in here. They're trying to French fry us. The girls are starting to sweat, and they're being burned as they crawl. Allison tells them to wrap whatever they can around their hands. Susie keeps freaking out, saying she has to get out of there. Allison tries to keep her moving. It's a really rough scene because because Allison doesn't even flinch like emotion-wise from being cooked and it's supposed to be super hot in there everyone else is kind of panicking like not panicking but but she's not even flinching so allison is so kelly maroney is playing it too small here whereas barbara crampton is playing it too big in this scene totally yeah definitely definitely greg rick and ferdy burst through a side door and into the mall proper Greg says they have to find a way out, but Rick says they have to defend themselves first. He asks if the mall has a sporting goods store. Greg and Ferdy both say, Peck and and Paws. Oh, again, this is one of those things. So they're referencing Sam Peckinpah, director of The Wild Bunch. There's another reference later, like Cohen's Little Shop of Horrors or something. Not Cohen, uh, Corman's Little Shop of Horrors, something like that. And again, these are the clever moments that are just not as clever as they think they are. But again, the movie does other things very, very right. Like later I'll call out when they were like, we hope Mike gets out, got out, you know, okay. Like, I, you know, the fact that they remember characters and stuff. Yeah, because they never saw him die. Exactly. But then, but this like, this whole like naming the store Peck and Paws, so I'm like, eh, I'm, I'm over that type of stuff. You know, when I'm, when I'm over it is when I started noticing that like, Every slasher, every horror movie from the early 80s named characters Cronenberg, Hooper, and, and, and you know what I mean? And like, I'm just like, okay, we get it. You're, you, we, I get it. You know what I mean? I think Joe Dante started that, actually. It's fine I, once. I think, he did, I think he did it in The Howling, I think. Uh, I could be wrong. But I feel like those guys did it, but then other, everyone else did it too. But those guys did it because they knew the, the, they knew those guys. Yeah. They were friends with those guys. It's just, yeah. Yeah. I'm just they, yeah. not a fan of that kind of stuff, you know? It, it's, yeah. You know what it reminds me of? And I know it came a lot later, but in the, the shitty, shitty Matthew Broderick Godzilla movie, um, fucking everything was a reference, you know, like Echo Base, Echo One, like was all like Empire Strikes Back references. Then, you know, Mayor Ebert and his assistant Siskel and all. I'm like, my God, I get it. Yeah. It's all fucking references. Jimmy Page and P. Diddy. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That now that would be cool. That's what they did. Did they? 
Yeah, they did that song together. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. Oh, man. I just want to, you know, purge that movie from my mind. Well, guess what? My next pad movie will be Godzilla. (laughs) Godzilla. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, At Peckinpah's, I don't, you know what? Fuck that. At the sporting goods store, (laughs) Freddy asks how they're going to get in. Rick says he has the key and smashes the glass door. There's a lot of glass door smashing in this. There is. So, so aggressive. So much glass. (laughs) Once inside, Rick tells Freddy to grab a propane tank. Then they all grab guns. Greg grabs a shotgun, Ferdy has a magnum, and Rick grabs an M16. Merka Reminds me a little bit of the back, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, where they have their guns, and they're like, I wanted to see them start swapping with each other. <laughs> Love that scene. Go, go listen to, uh, we're going to drop our Big Trouble in Little China uh, Carpenter Factor re- movie review uh, this uh, next month. That's uh, December, right? So, because yes. this month was just Starman. So, go listen to Starman. And uh, next month, December, will be Big Trouble in Little China. And we both discussed how much we loved the gun swapping scene. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with that episode. So if you're not a patron, go check us out because it's worth it. Check All it the patron- out. Check it out. All the patrons that are listening, you guys know how good it is, you guys and gals. And and we thank you and love the hell out of you. Yeah, we're, you know, coming up on Thanksgiving. So thank you. We're actually post-Thanksgiving. So thank you. We're very grateful for you. After a quick montage of them all loading their guns, Rick says, let's go send these fuckers a rambo That one didn't work. Nope. As the gun-toting boys are walking through the mall, Greg asks Ferdy if he knows how to use his gun. Ferdy says, yeah, I saw Dirty Harry 24 times. Now that worked. I like that. That works. Yeah. Because he's also got a fucking giant magnum. Or he could have said, I saw Rambo 24 times or whatever. Does Rambo have a big magnum like that? No, but you know what I'm saying? Because the Rambo The magnum works for, yeah. And clearly, um, you know, Rick never saw a movie about with M16s in it. <laughs> Rick asks if they're all set. Greg and Ferdy nod, and then he fires a few rounds into the air to call the killbots to their position. It doesn't take long for one of them to show up. The guy starts shooting it, and the killbot returns fire with its lasers. They duck for cover as the bullets bounce off its metal hide. Ferdy rolls the propane tank in front of the robot's treads, and Rick shoots it, exploding the tank. Yeah, so Rick, t- talk about Rick's shooting style here. Oh my God. Just go watch the, go find that clip of John Travolta in The Experts, and that's all you need to know. It's just like he's wincing, he's, he's crying, like he's making these face, these baby faces, like, gee, gee, gee. He's twitching. His face is twitching. His body's moving when he shoots. It is hilarious. <laughs> it's worth the price of admission for this movie. It's one of the highlights of this movie is the way he shoots a gun. It's so just like, gee, 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 gee. He's, he's, it's like he's basically spurting out a little joy juice every time. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself, and I completely agree with everything you just said. Thank you. Of course you do. In the air ducts, Susie is still fucking freaking out. Oh, my God. This scene is so pointless, by the way. I know. Because it goes nowhere. It goes nowhere they're, because they're going to be out of the shaft in a few minutes. Out of the shaft. <laughs> and I'm like, why'd you fuck this? Oh, yeah. This. 
<sighs> yeah, like, why do we need twice with her freaking out? You could have just had it once. They could have combined this scene with the last one, like what she's about to do. Uh, she says she has to find Greg. He needs me. Let me out of here. And then Allison and Linda try to calm her down. Susie says, you do you, you do what you want, but I'm getting out of here. And then she kicks open a vent that leads down into a paint store below. So I, I feel like they could have just combined that action, you know, into the previous scene. And then we didn't need two scenes of Barbara Crampton freaking out like that yeah oh yeah it just cut into one scene in the mall proper the guys check on the kill bot they think is destroyed it's knocked over on its side and leaking robot blood according to rick greg tells them not to get excited they still have two more of these suckers roaming around rick says they need to get more propane tanks and he says that he has an idea in the paint store, Allison and Linda are telling Susie that this isn't a good idea. She keeps saying that Greg needs her and he could be hurt. They all could. She's got to find them. Allison asks uh, Linda what she thinks. Linda says, if we got to go, let's not go empty-handed, as she looks at cans of gasoline. I like Linda. I do, too. And this scene could have been better minus Susie. <laughs> yes, yes. Because it could have been a total... A, a total empowerment scene where they just like arm up they could have made a joke like those assholes are are nothing with us without us you know Mm -hmm. and then and then uh and you could that could have been the moment where Susie and allison says to Susie, you know what they say behind every stud is a badass bitch or something like that i don't know yeah no i'm all of that would would be better then Susie crying, and and I never thought I'd say this, but yeah, the scene would be better without Barbara Crampton in it. It's wild, and yeah, I well, mean, don't worry, she'll be dead soon. Yeah, horribly, I, I might add. Uh, <laughs> in the mall, we see another killbot patrolling. It's kind of weird. It ends up hiding in the same dark corner where Mike died, and then turns off its visor. Cut to Rick, Greg, and Ferdy running to the elevators. They have two more propane tanks with them. They try to call the elevator, but it doesn't work, so they pry the door open by hand. Ferdy says, you know, I got to worry. Greg says, report from the front. Ferdy's got to worry. I kind of like that, by the way. Yeah, me too. I hate where this goes. Look, what if these things can read our mind? Rick says, then they'll be awfully mad when they get to me. They finally pry open the door and pile into the elevator. So I like... I like Ferdy saying, I got to worry, and I like report from the front, Ferdy's got to worry, but then what Ferdy is worried about is stupid. So I'm like, damn it. Like, it could have been better. Like, he could have been like, what if there's, like, what if the elevator doesn't work? Or, like, something that actually pertains to the plot at hand. How does an elevator work, too, by the way, if the door's not opening? Does it still work if the uh, and then also the escalators don't work unless the the robots are on them. So mm-hmm. so my world building was the killbots are just controlling the electronics by remote control radio or something. Honestly, that would probably be fine in 2022, but that's probably a high concept in in 1986 though. And reading our minds. And but that's the worst part of it. So oh, God, yeah, that sucked. In the paint store, Linda is showing Allison and Susie how to make the gasoline cans into Molotov cocktails. Allison says, sounds like you've done this before. Linda says, regular or unleaded, it gets the job done. Allison sees a box of road flares and sticks one down the front of her shirt for later use. Yeah, I like that. Me too. 
Cut back to the one Killbot the boys think they destroyed, and it uses its arm to right itself. Protector one, back on line. At the elevator, Greg and Rick are on top of it, and they are setting up the propane tanks to blow it up. Ferdy is at the elevator controls trying to hotwire it. Greg asks Rick, you think Mike got out all right? Rick says, for his sake, I hope so. But right now, I'm more concerned about the girls. And so this is what I was calling out. I like the fact that, like, the movie, the characters don't forget about Mike. Agreed. They also don't know he's dead, too. Yeah, it's true. Greg says, hey, I almost forgot. How much do I owe you for the beer? Rick says, forget it, man. When we get out of here, you owe me a six-pack. Greg calls down to Ferdy to see how things are going. Ferdy says the doors work now since he bypassed the circuit, but the elevators won't go up or down. They're still controlled by the computer. And so I guess, you know, the killbots are connected to the computer. So, okay, fine. Sure. Sure. And they read minds. Yeah, and they read minds. Cut to, and so this is a weird cut right here. So you cut to the hiding killbot in the corner. It comes to life and rolls out, and Susie turns around and screams. So you never really, like, see the girls leave the paint store, you know? Um, yeah. But Rick and Greg hear it and look at each other. Cut back to the girls running through the mall from the killbot while holding their Molotov wine boxes. That's what I called it because they're made out of, like, those giant square gas cans, you know? Yeah. Susie never stops screaming. They all hide behind cover, and Allison lights one of the cans and throws it at the robot. The can explodes on the ground, but doesn't stop the metal beast. We see the guys running through the mall, trying to track down the source of the screams. As the killbot advances on the girls, they leave cover and run. Susie gets shot in the back of her leg with a laser blast and falls to the floor. She's still holding on to the can of gasoline. The girls can't reach her, and the killbot finally shoots the tank setting Susie on fire as Allison and Linda watch in horror. The guys finally get there and Greg sees his girlfriend burning to death. They shoot the killbot to no effect as Linda and Allison run past them. The guys eventually have to retreat but get separated. Dude, I, I as much as I dislike the Susie character in, in the second half, like the second act of her life in this movie, I didn't mind her at the beginning. I don't like I didn't like her when she was screaming. That that death is fucking brutal because she's screaming as she's burning alive. Yeah, I mean it's it's a good kill. Yeah. It's a good kill for a movie. It's an emotional kill. And you know what? Honestly, all the kills I think are pretty good. Like the the uh, uh, Garrett Graham one was good. Like yeah. it's they're all good. Yeah, the kills are effective. Very much so. Ferdy catches up with Allison and Linda, and they use the escalator to get to the floor above. Rick gives Greg his gun and tells him he'll catch up with them and gets in the elevator, then uses the hatch to get on the roof of it. Greg follows the others up the escalators. The killbot gets inside the, the trapped elevator as everyone watches. Rick preps the propane tanks on the roof and then jumps off to the level below. Linda, with Rick's gun now, Greg and Ferdy try shooting the propane tank but can't hit it. Allison takes the magnum from Ferdy and shoots it in one go. The propane tank explodes, sending the elevator crashing down to the levels below. Ferdy says, nice shot. Allison says, dad's a Marine. Rick looks up at them and smiles. Hold on one second. If I could roll back one thing, I'll keep in all this. I would say, Ferdy says, nice shot, Johnson, which is my uh, wedge impression from Empire Strikes Back. There you go. 
you know, they actually did a good job of not damaging this mall. And I think I was watching like sort of in my head figuring out how they did this. I think crashing this elevator was a very effective scene and and done kind of cheaply, but done well and effectively. Yeah, no, I agree. It, it looks cool. It's a cool stunt. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I, I know you didn't pick up really earlier. Greg, d- didn't Greg ask why they left the air shaft? That's going to come up later. Okay, okay. That's going to come gotcha. up when they're in the, the restaurant again. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Crossfade to, here it is, crossfade to the Italian eatery that Allison and Susie work at. Everyone is quiet and tending to their wounds and or weapons. Linda says, according to my calculations, provided we survive the night, of course, we're going to be in hock to this place for the next 85 years. I don't know what that means, in hock. Well, it means like it's uh, it's an old school expression, like you're going to owe somebody. Okay, okay, all right. Rick asks, how many tune-ups is that? She's, she does calculations. She goes, 2,900,431. He says, maybe we should raise our rates. Rick looks at Allison and says, hey, Deadeye. And she, I like how she goes, yo. And he goes, nice shooting. And then here you go. Rick looks up and says, tell me one thing, huh? Why did you leave the air shaft? You were safe there. Allison tells him that Susie thought they were he, that he was in trouble. She just wanted to help. Greg gets mad and said, you should have kept her there. Ferdy tells Greg to leave Allison alone, and Greg tells him to shut the fuck up. Rick walks over and tells him to keep it down. There's another one of those things out there, and you're going to bring it right on us. Linda is shocked. There's another one? Why haven't we seen it? Greg loses his shit and says, I'll tell you why, because the fucker's out there waiting for us. He's waiting to pick us off one by one, but I got news for you. He ain't getting me, and he loads a shell into his shotgun. Rick says he isn't thinking. We've got this far by staying together. Greg says, and a lot of good that did Susie, right? Just then, Ferdy perks up and says he's got an idea. The master computer is somewhere on the third level. It's on the roof, but okay. (laughs) We shut it down. It shuts the robots down. Rick says it's worth a try. Greg says, computer, huh? Let's go crash the fucker. And, you know, as much as I hate Susie, I really like Greg. And I like the fact that her death affects him because that is something that would happen. I said I wrote down that Susie's uh, uh, Susie's meltdown just got like transferred into Greg because he starts having a meltdown. And I don't see why this would have been a great opportunity for Allison character to be like, what? Why do we leave the shaft? Because Susie was having a meltdown in there. Like that would have been a quick line, you know? Yeah. But it, but they didn't do that. So it's neither here nor there, I suppose. Yep. And and you're right. Greg is having a meltdown, which I think rightfully so. He watched yeah. his girlfriend burn to death. Understandable. But he's not going to be around much longer. Such is the way of things for people with meltdowns. Cut, exactly. Cut to everyone running through the mall. Greg is in the lead telling the gang to hurry up. Everyone tells him to slow down. Ferdy says he's losing it. Linda says that he's going to get them all killed. Greg breaks away from the pack and runs up the escalator ahead of them, only to be grabbed by the killbot on the on that level and thrown over the edge of the railing. Greg screams as he plummets to his death while the rest of them watch helplessly. And and you know the Greg actor does a good job of laying on the ground with his like his neck sort of turned and everything. Yeah, it's great. Good job, Greg. 
The Killbot says, Thank you. Have a nice day. Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human. Something always watching. Something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide? If you were haunted for seven winters alone. Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone, a dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook. Hello, everybody. I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. The rest of the group runs around to the other to the other escalator to go down a level, but they see another killbot. Allison says, "The first one, you didn't kill it." They run they run while the killbot above goes down the escalator to intercept. Protector 3 to level 2. Detain intruders. The other killbot goes up the escalator and says, "Protector 1 to level 2." Detain intruders. And then this is when I noted that the escalators work only when the robots use them. Sure. Our survivors make it to a department store with metal shutters instead of glass doors. Rick shoots, Rick shoots the lock and they pry the shutter open enough to crawl under while the two killbots advance on them. Allison gets shot in the arm by a laser bolt as she's crawling under, but she's okay. They close the steel shutter back down. Rick asks, where to? Ferdy says, escalator, third level. Allison says, they can't lock the doors now. They'll get through. Rick jams a piece of metal in the gear mechanism, and they run back. <laughs> it's really fucking funny when he does, because it, it's so ridiculous. It's, it's so funny when he jam, jams the door. Outside the metal shutters, the killbots look at each other. One says, instructions, attempt entry, level three. The other one says, I affirmative, like Newt. No, I'm just kidding. It says, affirmative. As the one killbot leaves, the other starts cutting a hole through the door with its laser. Yeah, cool. We see the other killbot go up the escalator in the mall proper as our survivors go up the escalator in the department store. Protector 3, level 3, search proceeding. Ferdy, Rick, and Linda and Allison make it to the doors on the third level, and Rick stops Ferdy from opening it. He says they could be out there. Ferdy says those things can go anywhere they want. Allison suggests maybe we'll stand a better chance if we split up, while Linda wraps her arm in her makeshift bandage. Ferdy is shocked. Are you kidding? The moment any one of us go out there, we're dead meat. Yesterday's news. Linda freaks out and tells Ferdy to stop it. 
Ferdy apologizes. He didn't mean to upset her. Linda says it's not him. She's just not used to being chased around a mall in the middle of the night by killer robots. Would have been funny if she added a fucking in there. By fucking killer <laughs> robots. And I just want to point out, too, that Ferdy basically says he doesn't want them to split up. But then they split up in a little bit. But he doesn't want to split up with her either then, too. Like That's, I, true. that's consistent with his character, I'd say. Yeah, but he still lets it happen. It's because he's a cuck. He is a cuck. <laughs> I can't I can't laugh, guys. I'll die. I'm trying. Zach's killing Don't me, though. Don't be a little bitch. I hate you right now. I hate sorry, you. Sorry, sorry. Back downstairs, Protector One is still cutting through the door. Crossfade to everyone waiting. Linda is asleep on Rick's shoulder, and Ferdy puts his arm around Allison to comfort her. Downstairs, Protector One finally cuts through the metal door and knocks it down. Everyone hears it and looks up. Linda screams, It's in! Allison says, And it won't be long before it comes our way. Ferdy says they gotta get out of there, but Rick stops them. Not so fast. One of them could have doubled back. We could get picked off out there. Allison stands up. Look, if those things want some target practice, why don't we give them some targets? They all look at the mannequins behind them. Cut to Protector 3 outside the third floor door. It opens and the Killbot raises its arms. I, I love how it's like right away when it's in attack mode, it just raises its arms. <laughs> I am a monkey. It is very monkey-esque. Ooh, ooh, ah, ah. We see that the gang has set up a bunch of mannequins as decoys and hides within the group. They open fire as, as Protector 3 rolls in. It shoots back but hits the mannequins. Ferdy tells Allison and Linda to run. Rick yells, Ferdy, now! And they both remove blankets covering two mirrors behind the mannequins. The Killbot shoots the mirror and its laser is bounced back hitting it. This causes Protector 3 to short circuit. It starts spinning in a circle and firing wildly around the department store. Linda stops, like an idiot, to look for Rick and takes a laser blast to the gut. She screams and falls over dead. Rick yells and gets on a motorized go-kart thingy and drives straight at the crazy killbot. Allison yells, Rick, no, as he crashes into it. The killbot electrocutes Rick to death before blowing up. Allison and Ferdy are all that's left. He says to her, let's go find that computer. You know, I get why Rick would do that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like makes a, sense. His wife just got shot. But come on, girl. She's like, she was standing there. His laser blasts are going everywhere. It's just like a quick way to get rid of everybody. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. But at least Rick took out that protector. Yep. I also believe that this uh, Warnarski might have been influenced a little bit by Terminator because he kind of turns baloney Maroney into kind of like a Linda Hamilton kind of tough girl at the end i always forget what year is terminator is it 84 84 yeah man i haven't seen that movie in forever i i gotta go back and, and watch that and t2 and movies i i love both of those movies <laughs> when we were talking about the sex scene go listen to the uh black moon rising episode <laughs> oh, good one buddy good one <laughs> So we see a quick sh we see a quick shot of Protector One gr crashing through a glass door. I don't even know what that was because the other one was a metal. Like I don't know what that was supposed to be. Cut to Ferdy and Allison running through the mall proper. 
She asks where the computer room is, and Ferdy says, probably off one of these service corridors. She says, there's a million doors. We'll never find it. You try over there, and I'll try over here. Ferdy says he doesn't want to split up. She says, what can happen, which is stupid, and he says, you want a list? What can happen? You've seen so many people die in front of your eyes horribly. Yeah. Fucking baloney maroney. Baloney maroney. What can happen? You want a list? She reminds him that they're wasting time. Ferdy relents and says, okay, look, if you even think you hear or see anything, she cuts him off and says, you'll hear me. Ferdy agrees and they go their separate ways. Cut to Allison walking through a back hallway. This is so dumb. When something drops from the ceiling and scares her, it looks like a mess of wires or maybe a giant gag spider. That's that's what I wrote. I'm like, was that a rubber spider? So, so I thought it was a rubber spider, but that made no sense why that would be there. So I was like, it must be like like rubber wires. But the thing is, it goes by so quick, you can't, you can't even pause to see what it is. Yeah. It's a cheap scare and it's dumb. Pointless. We also see Ferdy creeping down a hallway with a gun drawn. And also, shouldn't he have given the gun to Allison? She's clearly the better shot. Yeah, but he's a man, and this is the 80s. He's not just a man. He's a man's man. He is a man. He (laughs) is not a boy. (laughs) He has pubic hair. Do you remember the uh, bar mitzvah episode of Seinfeld where the kid says, like, I'm a man, and he kisses Elaine, like, with, like, full tongue or whatever? And then she tells Jerry later, I love how Jerry goes, he's not just a man, he's a man's man. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, love that. I love it. Cut back to Allison, and she sees a door slowly creak open. She grabs a metal pipe and then throws open the door only to reveal a dangerous amount of discarded metal piled up behind it. Someone should be fired for that. Yeah. Allison goes through another door and finds herself in another storage area. As the camera is sort of like her POV walking through it, did you note the G.I. Joe helicopter toy box on the left? I did. I did. Did you have that toy as a kid? I did not. I did, but I did not have that version. I had the uh, the tiger stripe version. Oh, which was a little bit later in the 80s. Yes, it was. That was when they reissued uh, some stuff, but then they repainted them. G.I. Joe's coming for you. We're going to put tiger shit all over the thing. G.I. Joe is there. And then that was also when, like, didn't Cobra, they had, like, the Python Patrol or something yeah. like that? Tiger Force versus Python Patrol, G.I. Joe. You know, I mean, as a kid, I loved it. Like, I loved my helicopter. And I loved the colors of it. But as an adult, I'm like, I see what you did there. I, I We all see what you did Fucking, there. It's it's Fakor. It's, We're going to make him blue. It's He-Man, but he's Fakor. He's a fake one. Yep. Honestly, I would have totally been down for them just to do the same paint job on He-Man, but have a detachable face or a robot face. Robot, robot face. Robot face, yes, yes. yes. Um, I did not. I wanted it. I always wanted that that helicopter with Wild Bill. I can. I never really had the vehicles. I had most, mostly just the figures. They were too expensive at the time. I was going to ask if you had any of the vehicles, and, and you said you didn't. But if now looking back, I mean, I think they're all amazing. If you could have one, what was your most coveted 
G.I. Joe toy vehicle that you could have. If I could have anyone, oh, man, that's that's tough because, like, part of me would want the big jet, but then – but functionality probably like an awe striker mm. you know because you could put what two or three or four figures in that thing like the jeep and they're so badass with the gun on top yeah it, i i like the ones that you could hold a bunch of figures in yeah like um our good buddy mark fong gave Bodie uh shark the the whale oh i never had that but a friend of mine did he's still so Bodie has it downstairs in his room and that thing fits 10 figures easy so, so cool so cool dude so awesome um i was a little you? i was a little bit spoiled by my mom and dad um i had a lot of the the vehicles um not a ton maybe, maybe just a handful of them but i did have that giant uh black uh cobra jet that had like another jet on the back of it oh uh, the, the the blackbird or whatever that was yeah something that like that dope. but uh, it's so big it, it was huge and it was a little bit almost too cumbersome for me to play with it my cumbersome by seven mary three <laughs> i dude i actually love seven mary three and i know that song good wow good call brother good call i have become cumbersome in oh. this world but hey, calls me a friend of mine, friend. Sorry, I, I may go back and listen to, uh, to them. But uh, anyways, um, so but my favorite uh, GI Joe vehicle, and mostly my, as a kid, my favorite vehicles and stuff were always snow related things, and I like oh, that. Yeah. I like that Cobra snow cat thing. It wasn't like first gen; it was like mid gen somewhere. Yeah. Kind of had the, this weird pod control system on the side for two guys. Yeah. Um, you know, and then missile rack in the front. Do you remember that one? I do. It came with a really cool Viper, um, like the snow Viper or whatever. He, he, he kind of had like a hockey mask almost. And you, you, he had a, pla- like a hood. Uh, yeah, plastic helmet that you could put on top of it and everything. Yeah. yeah that was hands down my favorite GI Joe toy as a kid. Corey was spoiled by his parents and he got this cool GI Joe. <laughs> and now back to chopping mall. You're not wrong, brother. You're not wrong. Cumbersome <laughs> to this world. Uh, she's sl- so now. So Allison slowly makes her way to the back of the room when all of a sudden, Protector One just taps her on her shoulder. Allison spins around and screams for Ferdy. Would you like to dance, dude? How silly is that? He just like like he could have just killed her right there. Yep, that was weird. We see Ferdy creeping down a hallway. He hears her scream and goes running back the way he came. The killbot slowly rolls towards Allison with its arms raised as she screams for Ferdy. This is annoying with her screaming like this. Yes, it is annoying. And I just, this dawned on me too. The guns don't work on these things. So why do they have so many guns? Which guns? Wait, what now? Like the guns don't work on the ro- on the robots. Yeah, so like, why even like bother carrying them? Yeah, because all we've yeah. all we've seen is the bullets bounce off, you know. Yeah. And of course, one bullet will in a second work on something, but yeah, for the most part, yeah, it's pointless. I mean, they're freaking tanks. They're just tanks. Yeah. It's like trying to shoot Ed two hundred nine with like a nine millimeter. Exactly. It ain't gonna happen, Jack. So the killbot slowly rolls towards Allison with his arms raised, like I said, and she's screaming for Ferdy. He finally comes uh, bursting through the door and tells her to get out. He points his magnum at Protector One's visor and shoots it point blank, destroying its laser weapon. Finally. That's fine. Laser malfunction. 
Laser malfunction. Detain intruder. Detain intruder. The killbot follows Ferdy into the mall proper as he keeps shooting it. Detain intruder. Allison runs out of the storage room after them. Ferdy is backed against the railing and all out of bullets. Stop right there. Ferdy throws his empty gun at Protector 1. It has the same effect as the bullets. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Allison finally catches up to them and Ferdy tells her to get the hell out of here. He picks up a fire extinguisher and throws it at the robot. Again, (laughs) again, it just bounces off its metal hide. It's a tank, for Christ's sake. You little bitch. (laughs) I do like how the Protector 1 picks up the metal extinguisher and hurls it back into Ferdy's chest. He flies back and hits the ground hard. We see blood coming out from his head. Protector 1 rolls over to Ferdy and says, Thank you. Have a nice day. Then it turns around and goes after Allison. She runs through the mall with the Killbot in hot pursuit. She eventually picks up a metal trash can and smashes the glass to a pet store. Allison hides under the dog kennels and moves a bag of dog food in front of her to hide behind. As Protector 1 is searching for her, he knocks over a glass container full of tarantulas and a snake. They crawl on Allison, but she maintains her composure. The killbot can't find her, so he moves on. Once the coast is clear, Allison crawls out from the hiding spot, and she like, steps on one of the spiders. It's a, it's a funny scene. Like, I get it. I mean, back in the day, we we didn't know what we know now about those kind of animals, and and, and they're all domesticated yeah. snakes and, and, like, super harmless. Everything's harmless. But back then, it was probably much more shocking. What was also shocking was, did you see that product placement on the right side of the frame that, like, I don't know what the actual product is, but the way it was cut, it says cock starter. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it, it might have been a gag. <laughs> might have been. They, they also call that, that pet shop Roger's Little Shop of Pets. That's that, That's what it is. Ro, it, was, it wasn't Corman's because it's Roger Corman, but yeah, it's Roger's Little Shop of Pets. I'm like, oh, it's so witty. And Dude. <sighs> Not really. They even panned the camera up across it. That's how clever they thought it was. Yep. Look what we did. Look what we did. We did this for your husband. No, 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 that doesn't work. Allison slowly walks through the pet store, but screams again when a cat or bird or something. Come on. Dude, I couldn't even, you can't even see what it is. I didn't even know what it was, and it was clearly something that was just thrown at her, you know? So she sees Carnage and doesn't even flinch, and then something spooks her, and she get all, gets all freaked out. Yeah. It's, it's like very, like her, her manic degrees of acting. It's a little frustrating. Yeah, yeah. But, of, of course, the, the scream causes Protector 1 to turn around and come back. She runs through the mall, but finds herself by the third-story railing. Protector 1 catches up to her, but can't find her. She's hanging over the ledge of the railing above a tent. Impressive stunt. Yeah, very much so. Allison slowly loses her grip and falls to the floor below, but the tent and luggage break her fall. Apparently, she did her own stunt there. Yeah, it looks like it. It's impressive. Yeah, I mean, I'll, nice I'll, job. I'll give her that. I'll definitely give her that. Nice job, Baroni. <laughs> nice job. <laughs> Nice job, Maroni, Baloney, Macaroni. <laughs> she starts crawling away as Protector One descends down the escalator after her. Allison pulls the road flare out from her bra as she crawls. 
Nice nod back to the uh, earlier in the movie. Uh, Good callback, good callback. Yes. She sees a paint store and gets to her feet. She then covers herself with her sweater and uses her upper body as a battering ram to go through the glass door. And I was like, that's impressive. Yeah, suddenly, suddenly, like, the decisions and the choices she makes are kind of smart and make sense. And that's why she's uh, one of the few people alive at the end. So good Mm -hmm. for her. Yeah. Allison starts dumping cans of paint all over the floor by a pile of other cans of paint. Isn't it funny how strategic she is about what cans of paint she pulls out? It's like, there's paint fucking everywhere, but she's like, I'll take two off this shelf. Ooh, I'll take the mocha, mocha rouge. Well, well, she, has to oh, get, and she has to get colors that, that look all pretty when they come together. Yeah. It's so funny because, yeah, it's not like she just took, you wouldn't just take all of them off one shelf. Exactly. Yeah, I know. I know. I just knock them over and everything. Roy G. Biv. It's got to be Roy G. Biv. <laughs> it has to be. She yells, come on, you little bastard, as Protector One comes driving into the store it smashes through another glass door while allison hides behind a pillar the killbot slips and slides on the wet paint giving allison enough time to run past her into the mall proper now she slides when she does and that was uh, an accident she didn't mean to but i think that actually looks really nice yeah it looks good she yells hey and then she lights the road flare then she says this is weird she goes have a nice day. And then it goes day, 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 day. It does that weird reverb thing as she throws it into the store, igniting the wet paint, setting off a huge explosion. This obliterates Protector One. And honestly, it looks fantastic when it explodes. Yeah, it does. Allison is blown back and Protector's One arm is on the ground next to her. She crawls away from the fire and eventually gets to her feet. As she hobbles through the mall, we hear Ferdy yell, hey. Allison looks up, and he's on the level above her. He's using a roll of toilet paper to sop up the gaping blood. Wait, what was the SNL sketch? Uh, Massive head wound Harry. Yeah, that's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) He says, says, nice shot. So ah, there you go. The third time. They run to each other. Oh, do you know what? I bet you they put that first one in to make this one the third one because, you know, you always have to have the rule of three. Sure. They run to each other and hug as the camera cranes up to the ceiling and we see it's daylight. Roll credits. And then I do, I always like credits where it's, you see the actor from the scene or something like that and it's it's fun. But then, of course, I love how, you know, they use Susie Slater's head exploding to, to show her. You know, yeah, part of me was like, oh, did Predator rip this off with the credits at the end where they turn? I would have been nice if they actually turned and looked at the camera like, you know, broke character. Well, but uh, that's what makes the that's what makes the Predator one great is because it's like outtake stuff here. They're yeah. using like footage from the movie. I would rather see outtake footage. They should have. It would have been great. Yeah. yeah. It would have been so cool to break character. I like that. Break yeah. kayfabe. Anyways. But um, break kayfabe. Yeah. Um. So, Zach, Chopping Mall, you haven't, you know, you said you haven't watched it too many times. I felt like we kind of shat on the movie a little bit while we were reviewing it. But overall, I still find this to be a very enjoyable film. Um, even at 76 minutes, though, I think we, they could have trimmed maybe three minutes of screaming here and there, and it would have been even better. But in the at the end of the day... This is a movie that I'll keep revisiting throughout the rest of my life. And it's I think it's a fun movie to probably show people who have never seen it before or maybe who aren't into these silly cult movies from the 80s. I think this might be a, an easy one for people to sort of digest, you know? 
Yeah, this is definitely a watch with a group type movie because you got to laugh at so much of it. And it, and it's much more enjoyable if you're watching it with your friends or buddy, whatever, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I think it would be not authentic of us if we weren't shitting on certain scenes, you know, or moments in this movie, because there are moments that are just like, Bleh. it is not, it is not a cult movie that, where you go, wow, this movie's badass. It's more like, wow, this movie's cheesy and silly, and you just laugh at it. Yeah, so it's a laughable film. Uh, of course, take many of the comments, at least that I made, tongue in cheek. You know, it's it's silly. Um, we're here, we're here and, to entertain. You know. Yes, come on, come on. And this movie is there to entertain as well. It's there to be ob- over the top and obnoxious. And and yeah, there are flaws, but you know what? It doesn't take away from the fact that it's an enjoyable film if you watch it with a group yeah agreed and uh like we said before honestly if you want to hear more about it go listen to the tony odell interview you know we we talk about a lot of different stuff there which it's a great interview but we also talk a lot about you know chopping mall so go check that out if you haven't already and uh please oh, and he gives his thoughts on um a potential chopping mall part two because it is being discussed. Yeah. There yeah. was at that point. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who knows at, at this point? And I honestly, I thought about that. I, I didn't even think about what, what he said. I just thought about that when I was done watching this movie. I was like, you could easily do one of those things and like have, you know, uh, Tony O'Dell and Kelly Maroney's characters, like their kids working at the mall now yeah. or something, or they own a store. Something. Totally. You could totally do something with it. So, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's fun. And you know what else is, you know what else I think is fun? My voice disappearing. But other than that, I think $2 late fee is fun. Zach, what you got going on this month? Actually, no, we're we're pretty much at the end of November. So, you know, I'm sure everyone had a good Black Friday and everything. This is kind of appropriate. What you got going into December with $2 late fee? We just dropped our Team Wolf 2 35th reunion episode with uh, three of the stars from the movie, including Mark Holton, which people will know from Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Leprechaun and Naked Gun. Um, a week, a few days from the drop of this episode, uh, Dustin and I will be along with Diallo will be at Los Angeles comic-con and Dustin and I will be interviewing, um, Joe Dante, the director of, well, so many, in my opinion, one of the greatest directors of the eighties bar none. Um, are are you going to ask him why, why explorers third act dies? Potentially. Potentially, uh, that might be on the docket. Yeah, we're gonna do like a little live episode with him, and then the Q and A with with fans, uh, and then Brendan Hay will be joining us as well. Brendan Hay is the executive producer of Secrets of the Mogwai, which is the oh, upcoming right. uh, Gremlins cartoon. And then we roll into December with uh, well, I think I feel like we did the Warriors on pad on, in December a few years ago. I think that might have been my choice. I think. I- um, I'd have to, I'd we're have to devoting, go back and, yeah, check that, but I don't, yeah, I think so. We're, but we're devoting all of December to the warriors. Uh, we've got some cool things coming up for that. So, um, definitely some nods to pad for sure. But yeah, if you guys, uh, like what you hear on pad and you know that Corey's a piece, this is like for me anyways, I know, uh, pads a part of the beef family, $2 a part of the geekscape network, but 
I'm the I'm like the the glue between the two, you know, Pat and two dollar late fee. This is my two my two sister wives, Corey <laughs> and Dustin. My two uh I'm in a polygamous marriage. So you um, certainly are. You polyamorous, <laughs> I guess I should say. You 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 really are. And uh, you know, like you said earlier, if you want to know what we're covering in December ahead of the game before you know the episodes drop, uh yep. Zach and I will be recording our wrap up after dark where I think we're gonna record on on Thanksgiving. Um, and we are going to, as usual, open up our, our movies and announce what we're going to be doing in December. Um, so always fun times there. And of course, speaking of two dollar late fee, next year we're going to have another you know crossover event like we always do. And uh, hopefully, you know, it seems like if you and Diallo, our pal Diallo from TV Obscura, if you and him are doing stuff, uh, you know, next year at LA Comic Con, then maybe that'll be the con that I come in town for, and we set up a booth or something, you know. So well, we'll do a, we could do a live panel there too. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm totally down with that. So that gives us a year to sort of plan that and uh, figure that out. But I think financially, given my my situation currently, it's going to be doable. So Zach and I are going to have real discussions about it and see how how it goes next year. Um, Sounds good. But one thing that would be great if y'all did was check out the Carpenter Factor on Patreon. We have a blast over there. Starman was a surprise hit for us. We really enjoyed Starman, and we had a great discussion there. We also, of course, had a great discussion with Big Trouble in Little China, which also means that in January we will be talking about Prince of Darkness. And if, if you haven't signed up, you don't know what it is, the Carpenter Factor is us going through every single John Carpenter movie in his catalog in order and revisiting the movies that we've already discussed, like uh, The Thing and soon to be Prince of Darkness. But we don't break the movie down like we do here. We actually, it's just a freeform discussion, but the idea is that it's focused on how the movie, that particular movie feels as part of the overall filmography. Yeah, it's a different take on what we do normally on our shows. Uh, And it's a fun discussion, a lot of fun details, and... Always makes for a great conversation. And you guys like listening to us, so it's even more of that. I feel like I'm learning a lot, too, and I'm kind of like seeing some bigger picture stuff and everything. So it's, I it's am too. having a blast with it. And and once John Carp- once we're done with John Carpenter, we're going to move on to another auteur. But it's, uh, it's under the auteur de force tier. Thank you for naming that one, Zach, on our Patreon page for $5 a month. And, of course, all proceeds go to help the show grow and everything. So thank you all so we're, much. We're, we're showers. We're growers, not showers. There you go. There you go. And as always, we'll catch you on the dark side. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Have you been wondering where's the beef? 
Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it.